I could stay awake just to hear you breathing. Watch you smile while you are sleeping. While you're far away and dreaming. I could spend my life in Ben Affleck's sweet surrender. But director Michael Bay is a film offender. Oh, every moment spent with this film is complete torture. When you see in Bruce Willis's eyes, his acting is like he's asleep. Cause I hate Armageddon and I don't, I do want to miss that shit. That's right, comet movies and not Armageddon on this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attack of the Killer Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 223 of Attack of the Killer podcast. This episode is called Comet Horror, and we'll be talking about movies that feature comets as the cause of all the trouble in that particular movie. I am your host, Insane Mike, and I have never actually seen Armageddon, yet I still feel I can voice my negative opinion, because that's what the internet is truly for. (laughs) If this is your first time listening to Attack of the Killer podcast, let me tell you a little bit about us. Attack of the Killer podcast loves long walks along the beach and back rubs. Our turn-ons are people who are honest, good listeners, and have three nipples. Our turn-offs are switches. We are also a horror movie podcast where a group of friends who pick a topic discuss movies within that topic. And we talk openly and freely. So if you, as if we're just hanging out, chatting amongst ourselves, like the friends we are. So be warned, there's probably going to be some spoilers. Now, I would like to take a moment now and give a very special shout out to the newest member of our attackers, Colby Keith and the Gore Score podcast have become our have become our newest Patreon supporters and as such are now official attackers. Uh, The Gore Score podcast features is featured on our podcast network, the Prescribed Films podcast network. So I want to thank to thank the hosts of the Gore Score for supporting our show. Awesome! Now you too can become an attacker, just like the gang over there at the Gore Score, by going to jointheattackers.com. All one word. Uh, when you become an attacker, you can get so much more than just a shout out on the show. You can get your very own membership card and certificate. You can also get various other perks, such as bonus episodes, special videos, video series such as Insane Mike's One Minute Top Ten list, and Killer Critiques. You can also get some of my very own artwork with Mikey's Monsters, where I turn you into a monster of my choice. And even an official Attack of the Killer podcast t-shirt. It's all depending on uh, what tier you pick, so all you gotta do is go to our site, jointheattackers.com, Pick the tier that best suits you and become an official member of the attackers, just like the Gore Score did. Also, make sure to listen to the Gore Score right on the PFPN at thepfpn.com. Speaking of attackers, it is now time to introduce you to the podcast crew. Do you know who his favorite of Santa's reindeer is? Comet. Andy, everybody! (laughs) Wow. Hi. (laughs) 
you know what his favorite sci-fi channel is? Comet TV. Chad! I just want to make it clear if this is your first time <laughs> listening that Mike does not normally always sing the intro, so don't give up on us right away if you're still <laughs> listening for some reason. <laughs> what does he use to clean his bathroom? Comet with bleach. Jason! Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, I second what Ted said. Yes, and uh, also, um, I want to <laughs> I want to relay that Mike records all his singing in high def because you either have to be either high or deaf oh, to yeah. actually enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny, I forgot to laugh. <laughs> um, and uh, and now our very special guest, he's the director of theaters and digital experience at the Adler Planetarium. He also has a he also had a horse when he was a child. Can you guess the horse's name? Elmer's. So Aww. our very own space Ugh. space and stuff expert, Mike <laughs> Smale, everybody. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. Hey, thanks for joining us, Mike. It's awesome to have you on the show and getting to meet you. This is great. Yeah, like 223 episodes. We've never had a technical advisor on, a show, on an episode before. This is cool. So first of all, congratulations on the cool name. And secondly, uh, <laughs> um, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, so yeah, so uh, you mentioned uh, what I do. I work for the Adler Planetarium in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, and I've actually spent most of my professional career in various uh, planetariums and museums, uh, science museums around around the country uh, here in Chicago, uh, but also down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and in Columbus, Ohio, which is where I'm from. And uh, I spent uh, you know a lot of time doing space stuff, but a lot of time also uh, big fan of uh, music. Uh, it's been it's been a rough year not being able to go out and see live music so much, but uh, I can hole up in my spare room and and listen to records and and still still make out okay. Yeah, yeah. One day, hopefully, we'll all get to see live shows again. Well, that's funny that's, because that's how I met Mike was at a Weezer show. Ask. Surprise, that's, surprise. That's, yep, that's where yeah. we met. Cool. Very cool. So you so, talk to people at concerts? That's weird. The, the Weezer community <laughs> is definitely weird. Um, you know, they, they mostly talk online, but they do. At one point, there were co- these things called concerts. And like they would people from different areas would like get into one building and watch one band together in person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes you would like talk to the person next to you. It was this thing. I don't know. It's you guys probably don't remember, but it was a little weird. But, uh, you know, it's. It works. Yeah. Well, welcome, Mike. Yes, definitely Thank welcome. You. Thanks for being here. And thanks for gonna setting everybody straight on all the space stuff in these movies. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> you too can become a space expert like Mike by subscribing to Shudder. Shudder is the Netflix for horror. With over 1 million subscribers, Shudder is the best streaming service for horror shows, movies, podcasts, and original content. And you can try a month for free of Shudder, thanks to us here at Attack of the Killer Podcast. Uh, just enter our promo code, A-O-T-K-P, and get on board with all of the cool kids and start watching Shudder today. Again, with your first free month, thanks to us! Again, the promo code is A-O-T-K-P. Get that first month for free and become a space expert. Like, you can watch Shudder while studying space and stuff when you're in college doing your thesis on space stuff. 
Results not guaranteed or approved. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of space, here's Tad with what we watched. All right, let's kick it right over to Andy. What have you watched? I mostly uh, watch stuff on Amazon Prime, and they were documentaries. I watched a doc called Survival of the Film Freaks that's available on Prime, and it talks about the uh, the evolution of cult films and what makes a cult film uh, as it went through, you know, 35 millimeter to a VHS to, you know, laser disc and all this and that, and how it was getting progressively, progressively more difficult as, you know, things became, you know, uh, as mom and pop shops, you know, went out of business, you know, due to blockbuster and all that. But now since it's people have a hunger for these films, uh, they're becoming, they're becoming more available with like, you know, uh, online you know retailers like vinegar syndrome and and stuff like that uh joe bob is in it uh adam green is in it and uh they have david lynch cussing in it which is which is really good too um (laughs) yeah joe bob talks about that he thinks it's so thinks it's hilarious uh it's on prime and it's uh it's it's free with your prime subscription um another one i watched was the and since i'm a big being said, I'm a big Roger Corman fan. It was basically a movie that was produced and made, but it was actually made not to even be released. And that was the actual original uh, Fantastic Four movie from 1993. Yes. The doc- oh, yes. The documentary is actually called uh, Doomed, the original uh, Fantastic Four movie, I believe. And it's it really... Uh, gives you a lot of insight to the politics of uh, film rights, let's say. Uh, and I'll, I'll just leave it at that. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's probably for the best that the film didn't get released <laughs> because it's... Uh, you think some of the, uh, the Fantastic Four movies that we have aren't that good? Uh, well, it's, better than, it's better than those. Yeah, well, have you seen it? Hey. <laughs> I have seen it. I... I have a, I still have a bootleg VHS of it. Um, yeah, no, it's bad. It's bad. I think like, the, <laughs> I, I always thought the, uh, the thing, um, makeup in it looked, looked pretty cool. But then again, that's also greeny VHS. So there's probably dozens <laughs> of seams that there's I, a charm to it, but it's bad. And I did notice that the guy who actually played Ben Grimm, uh, not the guy that was actually in the suit. The guy who played Ben Ben Grimm played uh, Super Freddy in uh, Part Five. Just oh, you Freddy. know, can, yeah, kick, yeah, kick, kicking the, uh, you know, connecting those dots. Um, and I also watched uh, one of my Blu-rays that's been collecting dust on the shelf, and it was it wasn't a it almost you know could be in this one, but it's actually it's not a comet movie. It's an eclipse movie, which is probably pretty rare um and that was bloody birthday with uh billy jacoby and yes. uh shit I, I don't know who else is in that uh really really different it's a killer kid eclipse movie 
if that is, uh, I don't even think we could even do a show on that. That's kind of like a, in a category all its own, but, um, the movie also has J- Julie Brown. Um, oh the, yeah. Uh, downtown Julie, Br- not downtown, no, not, Julie not Brown. down the other Julie Brown. This is the chick that plays the accordion, right? You're thinking Judy Tenuta. Uh, Julie Brown was, was a, a comedian slash singer. Um, yeah, but didn't Julie Brown play like? Wasn't she like on like Hollywood Squares and stuff too? She might have been on Hollywood Squares, but nice. Well, Julie Brown's a redhead. Are you still thinking yeah. Julie Brown? Okay, yeah, absolutely. Um, but she uh, probably her her most famous role of all time was the coach in Clueless. Okay. Oh yeah, and the Earth Girls Are Easy. She was in that too, which is actually was a movie that was based on one of her songs. Hmm. Welcome to the Julie Brown podcast. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And Ju- you get to see Julie Brown completely naked in Bloody Birthday. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. They uh, this little pervy little blonde haired girl, which I'm I'm confused about the genetics in this family. One of them's like a redhead, and one of them's like you know blonde. But okay, whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, this her her little sister charges her uh, pervy schoolmate boys like a quarter so they can look through her closet door into Julie Brown's room to, you know, see her dance, you know, naked, I guess, because that's, she has to dance topless in order to like actually change clothes. So, uh, yeah, another (laughs) typical 80, you know, really cheesy eighties, eighties film, but yeah, those are the ones that I wanted to, uh, to touch on because yeah, bloody birthday could have very well have been, uh, another one of those, uh, unwrapped films. So that's what I watched. Excellent. Uh, Jason, what have you watched? Well, it's uh, an exciting time. It's the end of the year and we know what's coming, the award show, and it's time to cram all the films from this year which there's been less of, but there's still a lot. And we're all trying to catch up and watch as many as we can because at the end of the year, it's top 10 list time. And and we all procrastinate exciting. and then get yes, competitive within one month left. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> I've been checking the numbers daily. My mind's going to be so small, dude. It's we need to get Andy competitive. Is what. Um, so the first one I'll talk about, I've, Loved it. It's The Craft Legacy. I watched it too. It's uh, directed by Zoe Lister-Jones. I know, right? I don't really, yeah. It's kind of her <laughs> second movie. And uh, um, it's damn good. It's basically, you know, it's a straight up remake. And, but all four of them girls are just awesome. And the story's really great. And there's so much going on. I totally recommend it. Did you like it, Tad? I know you, I, when you went, asked me about it, you didn't seem enthused, but I went in expecting to not like it. I knew I, I probably wouldn't hate it cause I'm pretty open to everything. Like I'm, I'm a defender of, um, you know, black, black Christmas remake. Like I, I watch all kinds of stuff that people really dunk on and I really enjoyed this. I mean, it has David Duchovny in it. Yep. It was just really cool. Yep. And he's a hateable asshole. Um, but yeah, the the girls in this were great. It's a, it's just a modern telling. It's uh, I think it, it's too bad that you know this was clear this was going to go theatrical mm-hmm. uh, until COVID hit. And now it's just sort of a blip 
on the radar. And I feel like this would have been really great for like high school age girls to watch. Like it obviously wasn't, I wasn't the audience, but I really did enjoy it. And I connect, not connected like personally to the characters, but I just being an outsider in high school and, um, you know, sort of being bullied and dealing with assholes. Like I, I really liked that aspect of the story and it didn't, it wasn't trying really hard to be woke or, you know, a feminist movie by any means, but the original was a feminist movie. So, um, it, it's not necessarily when people say remake, it's, there, there is a difference between remake and reboot. I think this would be more reboot because it, um, it's, sure. it feels like it's not beat for beat. It does have a lot of different story elements to it and it could exist in the same world. So, mm-hmm. but I, I did like it. And it was put out by Blumhouse. So yeah, it's good. It's quality. Definitely recommend it. Next one I'll talk about. Oh my goodness. Possessor directed by Brandon Cronenberg. I'm so bad. I did. I was supposed to watch it this weekend and I haven't got to it yet. Um, I loved it. I liked it a lot, you know, because I like everything, but uh, the movie's pretty fucked. I mean, it's <laughs> fucked up. I mean, it's a Cronenberg movie. That's all I'm saying. Uh, I mean, and, and and the boy, he also did Antiviral. Um, I don't know if you guys saw that a few years ago, but it's another, like, mm, super smart germs inside your body kind of thing. And, um, well, sort of like going back, connecting it to something. Um, I was talking to Scott Schreiner from Weezer and he was like, you know, asking me for recommendations. I said, I haven't mm-hmm. seen Possessor yet, but I'm planning on watching it here this weekend. Didn't get to it, but he was like, I, I know what he likes. He's always asking for recommendations on uh, uh-huh. f- fucked up movies. And I'm like, this is probably right up your alley. And he texts me. And he was like, this was awesome but it is not fun. I will probably never watch it again. Uh, what the fuck? But it was awesome. So like I, I, he's like, you're right. That's my kind of movie where I watch it and I'm done and I never want to see it again. But it, he said it was, uh-huh. yeah. And he's like, I can't really talk about it without spoiling anything. So he's like, just watch it. Just, so just watch it. Yeah. Just watch it. It's super cool. I mean, yeah, it's, it takes place in the future. There's basically the technology where you can, like go into a computer, but you can go and take over somebody's body. And Imagine that a Cronenberg doing a body horror movie. I know. So yeah, it's, it's bleak and dark and it's, you know, like what happens when, you know, just the identity of you or you, but you're being someone else and the toll that that takes on someone who does that a lot. And if you do bad things with that and it's, it's deep, but it's fucked up, but it, I would totally recommend it. And the last thing is probably I can, I don't want to say it's my favorite movie of the year yet, but it's got to be in the top three, two, one, The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Woo! Holy crap, I can't explain. This movie is so amazing. It's, it walks such a great line of being a, a horror movie, but it's also, that's, that's super deep and, and emotional and scary and but funny and dark but it's the funniest fucking movie i've probably ever seen <laughs> i can't this dude's sense of humor is the greatest so it's written and directed by jim cummings starring starring jim cummings <laughs> i can't even guys you gotta 
just go right now. Just go watch it. It's <laughs> it's my favorite. <laughs> All right, I'll see you guys ever. later. <laughs> I'll wait. It's so good. I, I I hate overselling things, but man, it's definitely a favorite. And, uh, and I, it's also, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I went into it and I watched it and I was blown away. And then I hit IMDb and I'm like, who's this lead guy? I'm like, oh, he fucking wrote it and directed it. What the fuck? Which I normally have a you know, which I think backfires more times than it succeeds. But oh my god, this one's so good! It's uh, it's the last appearance of Robert Forster, and mm. I know Dad talked about it last week, but the last episode. But again, it's it's outstanding, and I can't wait to watch his first movie. When I get off this podcast, I'm going to go watch it. Yes, I can't wait. So, The Wolf of Snow Hollow. It's amazing. Everybody, go see it. That's what I've watched. Okay, I'm going to kick it over to our guest, Mike Smale. What have you watched? So what I've been watching in the last uh, the last couple of weeks, um, I rewatched uh, 1917, the uh, oh. British World War One that came out at the end of last year. Um, nice, good story for a war movie, and the I mean the gimmick really works. You know, it's it's not oh. it's not a single shot movie, but you know they shoot it so it looks like it's one entire continuous shot, and it's it's great. I, like I, that really really helps drive the movie, um, and it's it's. Can, you know, it's consistent action, right amounts of suspense, kind of, kind of, you know, sprinkled in throughout it. It's not, it's not an overwhelming like go, 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 you know, something in your face the entire time. But rewatch that for the first time in a while. Uh, that was enjoyable. Did you see it in theaters when it came out? I did. Yeah, yeah. To, I saw it in theaters, and I'm afraid to rewatch it because I'm like, it's sort of like sort of like Dunkirk, where I'm like, this is a movie uh-huh. that is best experienced in a theater. I don't know if I want to experience it, and like, I'm afraid I won't like it as much. Yeah, I, I, same with Dunkirk. I mean, I saw it in the theater, but I've since, you know, I've, I've watched it on the home TV as well. And yeah, it's obviously not not quite the same, but you know, it still holds up. And I, and I know everybody knows about the gimmick, and I hate calling it a gimmick because it's not it's something that's amazing. But like, you get over that fast, and it and it, but this does something to you. It being one in re- real shot. time, yeah. I mean, it really puts you in a place that no other movie really does. It it's. It's a wonderful feeling. And then, you know, I, did they get the Oscar for the cinematography? I think so. I think so. Because, it. oh my gosh. Does what it a, almost make you feel like a bystander as opposed to a viewer? Yes. Andy, I'm not kidding. Oh, yeah. You are. Oh, it's incredible. You're running along with them. Like, it's. Oh, it's amazing. That's. That's. That's, even, that's, that's good shit right there. To even let your mind wander for a second to just how they choreograph this. I just. You just can't even imagine. Yeah. Thousands of actors. Oh, it's, it's incredible. Yes. I so go, watch it going, going from, going from 1917, then to kick it down a couple notches and then maybe bring it back on theme a little bit. Uh, I rewatched a movie that uh, I saw my first year here in Chicago called it's a movie called Shockwaves. It is mm. a late seventies. It's, it's a bad movie. Like don't go watch it. Right. It's, it's, um, <laughs> Underwater Nazis, come on. Underwater, like, Nazi zombies, and they're, like, the slow-walking Nazi zombies. And to kill them, you just have to pull off their goggles, and, like, they, you know, they they fry. It's, um, yeah, the first year I moved here, uh, down the street from my my first apartment, there was a, like, art space that was running a 24-hour, like, Halloween movie thing, and I remember just popping in for a couple of them. This is where I saw this movie, and I was, I remember thinking at the time, like, ah, this wasn't very, I mean, it's, it feels like it could have been better, right? It's got like fucking Grand Moff Tarkin's in it, and uh, 
you know, Brooke Adams from uh, body snatchers and dead zone. She's, she's the female lead, but it's just really, really bad. It's this, you know, Island resort people crash on and they proceed to be chased around by really slow underwater Nazi zombies. And, um, I probably won't watch that again for a very, very long time. I think you over, um, estimate our audience when you say bad, they're, <laughs> they're tuning in right now. They just turned off the show. If they haven't, if they don't already own this on 4k, <laughs> yeah you yeah, were selling it more than you realized dude <laughs> <laughs> our shows that's planetary right we make shows and then i go out and sell them to other places right so i gotta <laughs> you gotta think positive <clears throat> um uh, beyond that i also oh i finally got around to watching uh bill and ted face the music i had just been not yes that for whatever reason uh good it was like it was fun obviously like and, and i went back and it like i I've got the first Bill and Ted basically memorized, but I also went back and rewatched the, you know, the second one where they, uh, bogus journey, just cause I hadn't seen that one probably since it came out. Uh, and yeah, like it's, you know, it's no revolution in cinema or anything, but it's, it's enjoyable. It's fun. There were a couple little, couple bits, a couple characters I thought didn't work out that well. Um, I thought that them like setting up Bill and Ted's daughters as like parodies of themselves from 30 years ago was kind of weird and didn't, I didn't feel like that totally that totally hit, but uh, but on the whole, it was enjoyable. It's good to, good to see uh, another movie, and it's got a theremin in it, right? So how many how many right. movies do you see with theremins? Exactly. Uh, and Kid Cudi playing like a nuclear physicist, time travel expert. Which cool. <laughs> where else are you going to see that? Uh, and then the the last one I squeezed in uh, totally because I was I was listening to last week's episode just to kind of get ready for for this week and get ready for the flow of it. And uh, y'all talked about Idle Hands, which is that movie's my jam. Like I, yeah. I like, like uh-huh. my horror. I like comedy with my horror. And that movie is like right at the nexus of what I like. So I rewatched it again. It's, it's hilarious. It's so quotable. It's got so many like random. I mean, even like the, even the lesser known people do just fantastic jobs, but all the people that are in it and the way the whole, the whole story goes together without straight. Like, I don't know. It, it never feels too outlandish, right? It totally is. It's a movie about this like possessed hand that shows up and, you know, sharpens its fingers and the, <laughs> but it, know, feels, and, it feels grounded for some reason. Yeah. You microwaved. Right. But it like, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's yeah, it's relatable. So that's, uh, that's, that's what I've watched over the past couple weeks. That's a good, good list there. I guess we'll kick it over to you and saying, Mike, what have you watched? Uh, I finally, um, got to see Brandy and I marathon them. We watched the Hill house LLC trilogy. Oh, so, finally got around to watching those and i really liked them i feel like as the series goes on you know they kind of diminish from film to film but i'm one of those guys that if i'm watching a franchise and i'm hooked into the franchise i you know i will just keep following it just because of the the characters of the story and in this case the the environment of the hell house was cool and you know and I know I say it all the time not to, to pick on acting, but you know, some of the performances in like two and three take you out of the, I'll just say it takes you out of the, um, uh, found footage reality of it where it's like, okay, these people are actors they are not real people. You know, you, you really get that feeling in, in some of the scenes in the, in the latter two, but you know, I'm just, I'm, you know, but again, I'm invested. I'm invested in the story, and I'm also fascinated that they made these three movies. Um, I don't know how far apart between the years they made these movies, but every time they go into the Hell House, uh, 
it looks literally exactly the same as the previous movie with like where the, where the one um, baking shelf had fallen over or where somebody's bloody handprint is on the wall. It, it looks the same in each movie. And I'm, it was like amazed by that. Like, did they literally just film this back to back, you know, at once and just released them at later times or what? Because it, Every time they enter back into the Hell House, it looks you, you're just thrown back into the previous film. So those were fun. Um, I did finally also get around to watching, again, for the uh, year-ender marathon of movie watching. I watched the uh, Mortuary Collection. Yes. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, I know, Tad, you brought it up uh, a, a couple weeks or a couple episodes ago or whatever, and that that's what kind of got me excited to, to watch it. And I, I really loved it. It was a great anthology film, but I like the connected dots of the anthology stories as well. And I don't know. I had a theory after watching it, and, and you can tell me what you think. But I feel like there's an extra story that's going on in the background through each of the each episode, each little segment. And that has to do with the, the porn mustache doctor that, that literally shows up in every single story. Um, he's in all the segments, like in the first one, it's the woman in the bathroom who's stealing wallets from guys that are hitting on her and flirting with her. And one of the wallets is the doctor's wallet, mm-hmm. as we see his driver's license. And then in the next one, you know, he's the doctor to the, to the kid who ends up to the guy who ends up being pregnant. Um, and then like, and then he is the doctor to the woman that's dying and um, helps the guy figure out a way of, of euthanizing his uh, his uh, comatose wife, um, and then in the third story, it's it's his house where the you know where the killer from the insane asylum attacks the babysitter and kills the kid. So it's his kid. So he's also in the funeral at the beginning of the movie with the wraparound story, and so I feel like there's a whole other storyline going on with this character, just kind of in the background. Because each of these stories has is, is you know like like most stories in in an anthology horror film where they're morality tales and I feel like there's a morality tale going on with this one. Obviously, there's infidelity because he's uh, you know flirting with other women when he's clearly married, and um, you know he uh, helps a guy figure out a way to kill his wife, and then his comeuppance is that his son is is brutally murdered and eaten by a cannibal. So. Um, I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, I don't know if I'm overreading it or not, but that that's kind of was my takeaway, and I had a lot of fun looking at it in in the in that light. <clears throat> and then the last one I'll bring up is we watched this zombie movie called uh, Blood Quantum, which was that's which good. was actually yeah that wow. was a really good one too, and I like the whole the whole uh, you know Native American angle on on it all and how. You know, Native American blood is immune to the zombie outbreak and stuff. And and it does a pretty cool thing of starting off with the outbreak and then jumping ahead to basically po- post-apocalyptic. Um, and, you know, and Brandy and I had a had kind of a chuckle at the one scene uh, <laughs> where the, the main guy, the guy who kind of, you know, basically the Rick Grimes of the, uh, of the, of the group and you know, and he's Native American as well, so he's his blood. He's immune to the bites. 
And there's a scene where he takes off his shirt, and he's just got bites all over his body. And we were kind of laughing at that because we're like, yeah, we're kind of laughing at that because we're like, he's not very good at at being a a zombie survivalist. Yeah, sure, he's (laughs) immune, but that doesn't mean you just let yourself get bit all the time. I was just going to say that there's a great scene where at the beginning of the movie where you can, you know, it basically, you know, tells you nothing's really right. Uh, this fisherman, he goes out there, he comes back to yeah. this, like, I guess this bait shop or whatever, and he has already gutted the fish and he, sh- and he pulls one of the fish out and the, and the, and the thing's still flopping around and it's already been gutted. Yeah. You know? really cool. And just, it's basically show you how infected everything is. Yep. Yeah, so it was it was a pretty cool zombie flick, absolutely. But that's what I watched. Excellent. Hey, Chad, what'd you watch? Oh, thank you for asking, Jason. Um, I also am going in the vein of new stuff, but I don't want to go over the top and talk too much about it just because we're going to be talking about these soon. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I sort of trying to balance, but I went to a theater for the first time since March. Um, but to be fair, it wasn't even a public screening. The manager at our theater said, Hey, I'm previewing this new movie. Do you want to come sit with me? So it was three of us in the entire theater, but, um, I went and saw the new Blumhouse comedy horror freaky with Vince Vaughn. Awesome. Yeah. And luckily this one will be, uh, hitting VOD here pretty soon. I believe Blumhouse said that it will run in theaters for 17 days, then hit VOD. Because you guys will want to see this before the end of the year. Um, yeah. Holy shit, man. This was a lot of fun. Maybe it was just being back in the theater. Maybe I just needed this at the time. It's directed and uh, written by Christopher Landon, who did uh, Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You. Oh. He's going in oh. the same vein again um, because Happy Death Day was basically Horror Groundhog Day. And this is freaky. And this is basically Freaky Friday the 13th. Um, <laughs> it is a it is the body swat you know body switch movie um but it's between a teenage girl in high school and a slasher who's played by vince vaughn and fuck i you just forget how good vince vaughn could be um he's he's been doing more dramatic stuff recently and he's fantastic in that but uh he is so fucking funny and he is great in this because he plays for 90 percent of the movie he plays a teenage high school girl (laughs) going through um, emotions like uh, she's she's bullied and she's not really well liked and so uh, you know but he he, he's you know seven foot tall but he's playing a petite blonde um, and he really really pulls this off it is it is so smart and cool like it doesn't it doesn't beat around with too much explanation story it jumps right in it starts off as a great slasher um and then goes into the body switch and it's, it's so funny and really, really this, this director has a saying, um, Christopher Landon, he, he's found his niche. I hope he just keeps getting to do these because it's so good. Um, it, it, there's just so many funny little things I want to talk about, but I can't cause I don't want to spoil anything. I want you guys to see it, but, um, his performance in this is just, is just outrageously good. There's uh, scenes where he's like playing the girl and she has a crush on the guy and they're like making out and he's making out with like a high school boy. It's so funny. Um, so, yeah, check out Freaky. Wait until it's out of theaters uh, and go see it because it's going to be on VOD here pretty soon. Uh, the next one is a dramatic turn 
is definitely not fun or funny, uh, but it was really good. It's called The Dark and the Wicked. It will be hitting uh, Shutter early next year, but it's on VOD right now. Um, this one's really fucking sad and dark. Uh, this is actually by Brian uh, Bertino, who did The Strangers and Monster. Uh, this is this is a down and dirty, scary horror movie. Uh, this woman goes back to see her um, father who's slowly dying. He's like bedridden and sick. She comes back and her brother meets her there and some bad shit just starts happening. Um, This to me, I'm surprised it's, it's not quite like a 24 artsy, but it is definitely not a something I'm not surprised. This wasn't like a theatrical release just because it's, an indie film and low budget, obviously, but really cool. Like if I don't even know how to explain it, but it's sort of full core, I guess you would say if you're a fan of like the witch and hereditary and stuff, you would like this one. Um, I don't want to spoil any of what's happening to the family, but it's some supernatural stuff, but not too supernatural. Um, it's very haunting, I would say. So the dark and the wicked, if you don't want to pay for it right now, you can wait and shutter. will have it as an exclusive. I think, January or February of 2021. So that'll be hitting there. And then my final one, I guess I should have saved the best for last and not the uh, worst for last, but I saw come play, which is a PG 13 horror that has a kid that looks like Danny Torrance um, has uh, uh, Gillian Jacobs from love and all kinds of uh, community. I think she was on community. Um, and this one is, is, is really well made. It's clear out of all of these movies that had probably the biggest budget. And it was, uh, just sort of, I think put out in drive-in theaters and limited theaters, uh, maybe last month. And it's already hit VOD. Uh, it's about a little autistic boy who speaks to speaks through his phone and his devices. He has like a, a tablet and a phone. Um, that he uses to talk and there's a monster named Larry that manifests himself through smartphones and technology. And uh, the creature design sort of cool, but it's a little too CGI for my taste. Um, it's PG 13 horror. So it's probably something more aimed towards middle schoolers um, and high schoolers, but it's sort of a, I think it's nice that there's a modern sort of gateway horror for kids um, just not my thing. There was some cool moments, but overall, this one is not my, my jam. It, I wouldn't out of these three recommend it, but, uh, I'm glad I checked it off the list. Uh, not, Thanks, not, man. like I said, the production value is really good. I just, it's not going to make the top of any of my lists. So. Thanks for taking one for the team in this time of cr- cramming movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, trying to think uh, of. What it is, what's the company that di- does like uh, Amblin? Oh, Amblin, Amblin. This. Yeah. yeah, this is an Amblin horror movie, which is interesting. But that's yeah. sort of what that got me watching it because, you know, I like Amblin and I like mm-hmm. Gillian Jacobs. Um, but I guess this was based on a short film called Larry that came out in 2017. Um, just the idea of this monster like crawling out of phones and stuff. I, I wasn't sold. Um, you can only see him if you hold up your like phone camera. Like, hmm. I don't know. It it didn't do it for me. It was a little too uh, <laughs> CGI. And I, I just didn't. I, I, I don't know. So he's like an AR monster? Like, that's 
weird. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It just, yeah, you, you, the kids like basically has like a slumber party and they hold up the phone and they're all like, it's just an app, you know, uh, the, the, it's it jumps. It does a lot of jump scares where like the kids looking in selfie mode at his tablet and then like he's doing like a face swap and it will swap with nothing in the background, you know, and it's like, oh, there's something behind him, that type of thing. Uh, yeah, just didn't do it for me. Hmm. I, I don't know. Just, I don't recommend it. <laughs> nice. And that's what I watched. Wait, one more, one more uh, honorable mention, just because Mike, uh, say Mike, I think you need to watch this is called, and all of us need to watch. It's very funny. It's not horror, but it's, uh, Auntie Donna's big old house of fun on Netflix. It's a sketch <gasps> comedy show. I watched the first episode just the other day. Oh my god, I was crying. It's well, so funny. I will if you're going to keep watching, I will not spoil the coolest cameo of all time that you're going to literally shit your pants over. Oh, um, nice. It's so weird, I, Al, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not that. You didn't confirm. I'm not going to confirm that Weird Al plays Dracula in the fifth episode. <gasps> oh, is, nice. So do I have to <laughs> which is like a Halloween-themed episode. Uh, Thank goodness you didn't confirm that. I did, I'm not confirming or denying that Weird Al plays Dracula, but it, I was like, I saw that even right, like literally an hour before we recorded. I'm like, <laughs> holy shit, Mike's going to flip. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> oh, th- this, this show is incredibly dumb and funny. It's uh, an Australian sketch comedy show with three guys who live in a house with a talking dishwasher. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, um, Does the dishwasher keeps showing up in other episodes. Yeah. And he's oh, cool. And, and the, the show is, it, it's sort of, I mean, it, you have to sort of watch them in order to, to get jokes later on. They re- make references, but, um, there's only five episodes they are like 20 minutes long. It's, it's like Wee. It's like an adult version of Wee's playhouse. It's so f- stupid and fun. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Um, check it out. We, we binged all of it it's definitely a great watch. So very on the, very on the avant-garde strange comedy side of things, Uh, man. Because first of all, if you're flipping through Netflix and you come to this and you read the description, you think you're clicking on like some throwback to 80 sitcom or something. The description was very misleading. Right. Uh, So I, this, the whole episode I'm waiting for like, the plot of this description that I read to start happening. And it doesn't, it just goes from one weirdo skit to the next, but right out of the gate with that first episode, when they're, when they're singing their song about everything, everything's a drum. drum. Yeah. <laughs> and then when the pot doesn't make any noise, yeah. not everything's a drum. Oh no. <laughs> spoilers. Oh, it's, it's so I wouldn't consider it spoilers. No. I consider it enticing you. <laughs> yeah. to get to, like it, what it, the fuck is he talking about? I it, better watch this. Yeah, it's like a two minute sketch out of I mean, it's yeah. so ADD comedy. Like it's oh I, yeah. It's right up my alley because um I can it's like if you don't like the sketch they're currently on, it, they're gonna be on a new one in two minutes. It is so <laughs> like quick and fast and funny. And if you don't yeah. you know, it's just it's good. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right, thanks, Tad, for what we watched, and thanks for the insight about episode five. I'm totally, totally, we're going to watch that after we're done recording. <laughs> Brandy's looking at me like, what? <laughs> All right, so what do you get when you cross a position with a pole? That's right, pole position with Jason. From now on, like your parents were, you are the secret force of pole position. A what with a what? What's wrong with you? A position with a pole. Okay, so for this 
episode of this pole position, uh, we've got the question asked, what is your favorite movie alien? I know, pretty exciting, right? So let's kick it off with Insane Mike. What's your favorite? Okay, so <laughs> apparently I caused confusion. Um, you on, did? On Slack about that. But, well, n- we didn't say which one we were doing, so that's what I, I, I should have clarified when I gave my my answer to which question we were going to do. Anyway, mine, and I know it's not going to get the votes, but I don't care because it <laughs> is my favorite movie alien of all time, and that's The Deadly Spawn. Uh, you know, that... For such a low, low, low budget movie, the monsters in that movie are incredible. I love to the design these like giant penises with teeth everywhere, and the little the little slug babies slithering around. And these little slugs slithering and wa- around in like water across across carpet and everything. Long before Night of the Creeps and Slither ever did little slug creatures. And this movie did it on a tiny, tiny budget and the effects are extremely seamless. So, and I just, I just love the design of those, of those monsters anyway. So that's my answer the deadly spawn. It's a, it's a wonderful movie and can't stop pimping it and letting people know about it. Cause they need to see it. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I'll go next. And I, you know, instantly it's my first choice. Every time it's the one I thought of right away, I have to go with one of the, one of the few perfect movies in the world, the thing like that's one of the scariest aliens I could possibly think of. And yeah, I mean, that's probably has to be the winner. Uh, it's just, like, Oh, we can just go ahead and declare it now. All, right. all cool. encompassing. I, I mean, it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's the scariest thing. It could just replicate everything. It's hard to beat. It could be all of your monsters. Yeah. Or aliens. That's right. Yeah. Well, what's yours, Tad? Um, I'm, uh, this is a, maybe a little bit of a stretch, but I'm going with the killer clowns from outer space. They're from outer space. So killer clowns. They're aliens. Yeah. Pick. Yeah. Very and and I, I've been reading all day today that the Chiodos have been in talks with Netflix oh. for a sequel. Oh my gosh. It's been nice. so long. Well, their, their <laughs> new special <laughs> alien Xmas just hit Netflix last week. So, um, please watch it and let Netflix know that you want a killer clown sequel. Wait, what? What's that? Aliens, Christmas? A- Alien Xmas. They the Chiodo brothers wrote a children's book, <gasps> and they created a Netflix special out of it. It's a stop motion alien Christmas movie. Mike, come on! I did not know about this. Yeah, it just hit Netflix last week, like Thursday or Friday, I think. Oh, I'm on it because again, just design wise, I love everything the Chiodo brothers do as far as their effects work goes. You know, they created the critters. You know, killer clowns in our space, obviously, and so I'm. I'm always, especially if they have their hands all the way into a project on something that's theirs. I, I, I'm totally <laughs> pun joke, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I totally got to check it out, and and they've been known to do some great stop motion animation too, like um, the alien at the end of UHF. That was the Chiodo Brothers, and Large March from Pee Wee's uh, Pig Adventure was Chiodo Brothers. Yep, and Ernest Scared Stupid, all the monsters. Yep, yep, the, the <laughs> and, troll monster. You know, Team America, World Police, all the puppetry. Yeah, yeah. and I think did they get like? Okay, I know we're we're going on here. <laughs> we're straight. I think they, brothers podcast. Yeah. I think we. Um, I think they even got an Academy Award nomination for for the uh, for the mouse for the mouse um, 
uh, Stuart Little di- diorama. No, the mouse dioramas they did with uh, in that I was um, dinner for schmucks. Dinner, yeah, dinner with schmucks. I think yeah. they got a nod, an Oscar nod for that. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, and Andy, what's your favorite movie, Alien? I have to go with the Predator, and personally, I know this is Classic this Andy. is a bold this is a bold statement. That is my. F- and this, I know this covers a lot of ground, and but it is my favorite movie that came out in 1987, and it does beat Lost Boys, it does beat Evil Dead Two, it does beat Hellraiser, it does beat RoboCop. Yeah, because it has all the mu- greasy muscular dudes that you love. <laughs> <laughs> it's something that you'll never have, Tad. Exactly. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then, so Twitter only lets us put up uh, four choices. But Mike, if you had to pick, Mike Smell, if you had to pick what your favorite movie Alien was, what would you pick? I think I would probably go with the Martians from Mars Attacks. Ack, 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 ack. Yes. yes. That's an oh excellent choice. It is. No matter what you think of the movie, the, the Martians themselves are freaking cool. I love that movie, but I always feel like I'm in the minority. I like oh, it. Yeah. All right. So you can, so everyone out there listening, you get your butts over to Twitter at AOTKP. The poll will be up as soon as this episode comes out later that day and get your vote in. To I'm voting you, for yours. Who you think got it right? Probably me. All right. Hey, and that's Pole position. Okay, so without any further ado, we should probably get into the movies uh, that we're going to talk about. First, I want to ask our resident space expert, Mike, what is the difference between comets and asteroids? Sure. So the difference between comets and asteroids, it's really kind of two twofold. It's two things. One is their composition, what they're made of. And the other is where we find them in our solar system. So let's start with asteroids. Asteroids are your your prototypical big space rocks. They're almost entirely made of rock. Some trace uh, other minerals and some metals you might find inside asteroids as well. But they're they're basically big hunks of rock, thousands of feet, miles, even hundreds of miles across. The, The largest asteroid we know of is a little bit smaller than the state of Texas. And the asteroids can almost entirely be found in an area known as the asteroid belt. And the asteroid belt is the area in our solar system in between the orbits of Mars and Jupiter. So asteroids have mostly circular orbits around the sun, and they can mostly be found in between the orbits of Mars and Jupiter. Not exclusively, but mostly. Comets, on the other hand, much more interesting. As Futurama's Captain Zap Brannigan once pointed out, comets are the icebergs of the sky. They're mostly made of ice, with some other elements as well. You'll find some, some rock and some dust. You'll find some trace, uh, other trace elements like ammonia and methane. You'll also find organic compounds, uh, a variety of different kinds of organic compounds. You can basically think of that as just something containing carbon. That's an organic compound. And comets travel in very, very elliptical orbits that take them from the very, very depths of our solar system, way out beyond Neptune and the planets that we know, and it brings them in very, very close to the sun. They swing around the sun, and then they head back off into the, into the depths of space. Now, you might be thinking, if you, if you have this big ice ball, and you get it close to a heat source, in this case our sun, it's going to melt, right? Well, comets actually do something that's even a little bit more interesting. In uh, space, it goes through a process called sublimation. 
And what that means is, well, normally here on the Earth, if you have uh, an ice cube and you add heat, it melts and it turns into a liquid. But in space, in the case of comets, it skips a phase. It goes directly from solid into a gas. That's what sublimation is. And that gas forms a, a bit of a, like a, a halo or like an atmosphere around the core of the comet. And then it also gets blown away from the comet, and it forms that big, beautiful tail. If you've ever looked at a picture of a comet, you always see that kind of uh, big, long, hazy tail streaming away from it. So that's formed, and it's only formed and only visible when the comet is close to the sun. Once the comet gets far enough away from the sun uh, that it starts to get gets colder and colder, the tail gets smaller and smaller, and then eventually, in the most distant parts of their orbit, these comets are just those sort of dark, dirty snowballs, those hunks of, of ice and snow way out in the depths of our solar system. Cool. Thank you. And that Mike and Mike, good job on the question and answer. I think he's, he's answered that question before. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and also apparently comets can cause, um, trucks to come alive and (laughs) weird colors to appear and cause aliens. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Maybe maybe we take those movie by movie. (laughs) 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 Okay. Tad, what's our first movie we're going to talk about? Our first movie is color out of space. Look at this. All those years in the big city, we finally got out. We're living the dream. Maybe it is a dream. Then everything just blew up. Big flash, like a pink light. Or actually, I don't even know what color it was. It wasn't like any color I'd ever seen before. Looks like a meteorite. I mean, it's radioactive. I mean, it's from space, right? Meteorites are generally no more dangerous than ordinary rocks. How can something that big just disappear? Did you plant those? No. Ward, you come here for a sec. Oh, God. What are you doing? Shh. He's talking to me. Who's talking to you? A man in the well. It's in the static, it's in the moisture. It's in here, it's out there. What's out there is in here now. Everything's under control. Why are you so in denial? That thing from the meteorite changes everything around it. Can you believe me now? I don't know what I believe anymore. The Color Out of Space, released just this year with the uh, return of Richard Stanley as a director. 
sorry, Nicholas Cage in his best sort of role kind of role as a true Nicholas Cage. He doesn't go complete Nicholas Cage, but he has his moments um, based on a story by HP Lovecraft. It's a perfect recipe of a movie. Um, after a meteorite lands in their front yard, Nathan Gardner and his family find themselves battling an extraterrestrial organism as it infects their minds and bodies and turns their lives into a living nightmare. Um, Nick Cage, alpacas, uh, meteorites, <laughs> bright, bright rad colors. It's a woman chopping off her fucking fingers. I love this movie. It was Ooh. one of the last ones I got to see in uh, theaters. I saw it film scene before shit hit the fan. Um, I'm just, I love this movie, man. Like, what else can I say? Uh, this one's a blast. What'd you guys think? I'm sure uh, who, okay. Whose first time was this seeing this? Me, me, Jason. mine too. I, I bought the uh, DVD uh, Blu-ray when it, when it first came out, I, I saw this uh, a little while back and I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, People talked about how great Annihilation was. I I think this is I think this is ten times better than Annihilation. Hmm. In terms of, I mean, it's kind of like it's it, the 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 tone is mm-hmm. similar in in what happens. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. I just to me, like I felt like um, this was th- like I said, the perfect ingredients. Um, it's Nick Cage is a great actor. He just has to be put in the right projects with good writing to show off his skills and uh, having Richard Stanley adapting an HP Lovecraft story with him as a lead. It, it, to me, it hit like on every level personally. I thought it was just great. I literally just watched it last night and it fucking blew my mind hole. It was right. so fucking awesome. Richard Stanley is back. I mean, I'll admit I was a little worried. I'm a little worried because you know, he just his story and he'd been away and, uh, you know, we see what happens when, uh, you know, like when John Carpenter came back, uh, the ward, not so yeah. much. Uh, well, eh. Kind of just gone a little crazy. You're not in a bad way. You know, just, he just, I don't know. So I was worried, but my gosh, this movie was, I loved it. It's just right out of the gate. The cinematography is some of the most beautiful I've seen in a long time before it even gets to the color stuff, you know, like, uh, the cast was was awesome. I loved that that Lavinia. She mm-hmm. just you know she steered the whole movie so well, and he just, gosh dang, got Tommy Chong what? in there. Tommy Chong was awesome. I've never right? said that sentence before. <laughs> <laughs> but he was one of my favorite parts of the movie. He just oh, he's just such. I mean the 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 role of Ezra as some squatter out in the middle of nowhere that's that has lost his mind, you know, maybe he represents Richard Stanley's crazier half, but what's he say all the time? I, you, you want a cup of Joe, but cup of Java, yeah. Java, Java. 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 but oh man, when he, when they go back out there at the end, it is fucking terrifying. He, the way he looks and the, his voice on the, it's the perfect voice, uh, to be playing back on the reel to reel. And, it's scary as hell. He's so he's his his corpse, I guess you want to call it, is so right. still. And you're just uh, as a fan, you're just waiting for that thing to like uh-huh. s- lurch uh-huh. forward and and nothing ever happens, but and it and it and it the, that's the beauty of it. It didn't need to. You were just so freaked out 
you know, that it's going to move and it, and it never needed to. And the, and it paid off yeah, you, perfectly. You don't know what the hell is going to happen next in this, you know, it's just from left field. I will say like one of the scariest things for me is, um, how we're all gushing on it. And then Mike's mail is going to come in and crush our, our oh, dreams. He is. <laughs> He's ruined uh, it. No, I, I was going to say, I, I actually loved the pacing in this movie. Cause it was, it, it took a while, like from the get go, you're like, okay, it's, it's a weird scenario. They're living in a house in the middle of nowhere. Something's going to happen, but it took a good long while for something like seriously sketchy, you know, cause you're, you're watching through it and like the, you know, there's the, you know, the, the accident where the mom, you know, cuts her fingers off. But up until that point, they're really, right. you know, other like, obviously like the meteor land in their front yard. Right. But there hadn't been anything. And even that was just kind it of was like, still a normal movie. Yeah. It was, and it was, that was like, Oh, she just, and she, you know, the way she, she reacted or actually the way she didn't react to that. You're still like, okay, well, like, well, let's, let's see what else plays out. Let's, you know, it was, it was a slow burn, which I, I, I really enjoyed. Yeah. It was patient. Like it, it was like, just come along with me. We'll get there. Just, we want to make sure we set things up. Right. So we care when things happen to this family. It, exactly. That's the one thing I wanted to touch on is that yeah, the character development was really, really good. I mean, this, this, this family is a little eccentric, but the, a little bit. They made you. They made you care about what happened, you know, to these people because they were they were good people. And the movie, it, you know, it's it's kind of really heartbreaking as as to oh, what happens to them. As, you know, especially I mean, the mom and the son. Uh, oh Jesus and, Christ! Uh, yeah, holy cow. Um, and then of course, you know, when the mom attacks Lavinia up in the attic, just you know, and you know, just Lavinia. Um, and I do want to say, you know, what some of my favorite stuff is, uh, of course I love, you know, when we get to see the raging Cajun, um, <laughs> uh, you know, him trying to start the car, but mainly particularly his, <laughs> his cycling of, uh, emotions because he's like, I, I, th- oh, I, yeah. I got the, I got the impression that he was like channeling his dad the way his dad used to talk to him. And now he's talking that way to his kids. Yeah. And, um, but also like a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, but the thing is like, he's like, he's freaking out. He's slam dunking those tomatoes in there and he's freaking (laughs) out. And then like, and like, and, and, and then at the end, and she says, just fix the, fix the dish. And he just, he circles like right back to his, like his normal self. Yeah. I think that's a good idea, honey. You know, it's like, what the hell? He's just like, one minute he's ape shit, and then he just he just snaps back into reality, and it's um, yeah, and just it, this is just it's such a pretty pretty movie. It's it's mm-hmm. beautiful to watch, and just uh, one thing I want to say about Richard Stanley, you know, of course, uh, I think a lot of our listeners know that uh, he was going to direct uh the island of dr moreau and i think he just i think he was like the perfect person to do like a lovecraftian story because i think he has you can tell his passion comes through in these stories that he probably used to just you know devour when he was a kid you know the the lovecraft Mm -hmm. and uh what who who wrote moreau I know it's a famous author, but I can't place it right now. But you know, you, you get an idea. You get you you get a good you get the impression that he really has a passion 
you know, for these old stories. And he was, he was, I don't, I don't really know anybody else that probably could have pulled it off quite as well as he could have. He did, excuse me. He was the right amount of crazy town. <laughs> yeah. To, to, yeah. To, get, to get where this movie needed to go. I to feel, be the different thing that it is. I feel like Richard Stanley is a huge HP Lovecraft, but sees HP Lovecraft on a different level than most the rest of us do. <laughs> it's like, like him and Stuart Gordon, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, but even, yeah, a way different sensibility than Stuart Gordon. That's for sure. I, I was interested. I am. I will say I am not a like historian on HP Lovecraft. I can't say mm-hmm. I have a huge knowledge on it. So I asked my friend Trevor, who's been on the show, who came to Iowa city with me and watched it. Um, what he thought, because he is a big time reader. He's also a writer who was heavily influenced by H.P. Lovecraft and is a huge fan. And he was like, this is has to be my favorite adaptation. This was just fucking ruled. Wow. Like, what a cool take on it. Um, he just gets it. And I'm like, right on. He said the tone was just like right on for him in his opinion. You know, I've heard that from a lot of people. Well, yeah, because the whole time I'm watching it, um, I'm sitting there thinking, I've seen this plot before. I've seen this plot before. And then it occurred to me that, that like, Oh, this is exactly what happens in the curse, which we watched for the show a couple years ago, I think. So I jumped on INDB and, and curse is based on the same HP Lovecraft story. Only this is definitely way better than the curse. <laughs> I love the opening. You're like, is this a set in olden times? I have having not really seen the movie. It's like a fun little trick because this girl's out doing some witchcraft type thing, witchcrafty yeah. thing, and yeah. I, and and the whole yeah, like the whole beginning of the movies feels different than most beginnings because there's this like the music they use on her when she's on her way back to the house, which takes forever, <laughs> and out to the barn. Like there's just this really interesting music that's not n- normal in this part of the beginning of the movie, and it just lasts forever, and it gives it such a cool feeling the music in general of this film is, i mean yeah <laughs> oh man uh, yeah i will throw out because i know tad's obviously looking for me to like dunk on something here right from a, from a science perspective. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll get to the science part I mean, let's let's so let's talk about the let's talk about the uh the, the meteor that landed right so this this rock from space uh and a, and a, a meteor is actually significantly smaller than, than an asteroid or a comet. Uh, most meteors are, you know, maybe on the extreme large end, maybe like two or three feet across, uh, which is about what we saw with, uh, with, with this particular meteor, with this particular, uh, meteor, uh, meteors do a weird, a weird naming thing. When these, these bits of, of rock and space dust are in space, they're called meteoroids. And then when they, they basically, they, when they travel through the Earth's atmosphere, they they heat up, they ionize the air around them, and that leaves the like the streak that you can see in the night sky, the shooting star. And when that happens, they're called meteors. And then when they land on the ground, they're called meteorites for some weird reason. Same same rock, three names. <laughs> um, so the uh, so it, la- it lands in their yard. It it kicks up kind of a, a crater. Um, the crater was was reasonable. It, it, the rock probably would have sunk a little further in. Uh, Again, depending on the exact uh, you know, underground geology of that uh, that New England location where they where they are, um, and then other so obviously the the color 
plays a, plays a big role in this movie. That sort of like uh, pinkish purple shade that, that sort of permeates the entire film. And uh, obviously the, um, the, the meteor on the ground has kind of a, kind of a, a charred black uh, crust, uh, which again is accurate uh, as, as meteors burn in, they have, what's called a fusion crust just because of the incredible heat of traveling through the earth's atmosphere. They get that like charred blackened exterior. Uh, and of course in this movie, they add the kind of like pink purple, like, tiger stripes kind of over top of it. Um, obviously to, to fit in with the theme, you obviously would not find that on an actual, <laughs> uh, on an actual <laughs> meteor. Um, but you know, I, I will say it was, there was a kind of a, uh, a throwaway line about like, I think it was Nicholas Cage who was like, Oh, are, are, are they valuable? Like when, when it, when it first hit and like, yeah, actually like meteorites can go from anywhere from like a couple hundred to a couple thousand dollars a pound. Um, so, you know, if, if he had been like really hard up for cash, he should have just like thrown the thing in the trunk of his car and, you know, <laughs> driven to find somebody to get it appraised. And, uh, but then that would have made the movie totally different. So. But what's funny <laughs> is if his character would have sold the meteorite, Nick Cage, the actor would have bought it and his uh, manager would have been, like, <laughs> damn it. Now you have to take another <laughs> shitty role. Cause you keep buying things like shit. Uh, like yeah, exactly. So it's sort of funny. <laughs> <laughs> I also loved the, um, the uh, so the the mayor was only in like two or three scenes, but the first time like the mayor and the sheriff show up to come look at this, you know, look at this, you know, meteor impact, and this is again like a small town BFE like mid Atlantic somewhere, and the mayor's got a bodyguard with her, right? Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> that was absolutely <laughs> hilarious. And then when um, a little bit later, when the sheriffs have, uh, I think it was the sort of uh, animal corpse amalgamation that had come out of they they had it in the back of a truck and they they see the uh, the guy that's the hydrologist and they're just like hey you're a scientist come here take a look at this <laughs> uh, and then the mayor did that i think once too she was like hey you're you're a hydrologist what do you think about this and i'm like it's a rock from space he's not a he but it was just that like you're the scientist you handle it well i'll admit like um you know i uh, when we were talking about having an episode about comet horror i'm like you know, well, who could we have as a guest? I thought of you right away. And I'm like, oh shit, I hope that wasn't like offensive, like getting my token <laughs> smart space friend on the show. Uh, but, but like, I'm probably in that situation where I'd be like, uh, Hey man, like, what do you know about this? And you're like, that's nothing at all. What I do. You know what I mean? Like, like dumb people think that smart people know everything and I'm a dumb person. So like, I just assume you're going to know about this and I'm glad you actually do. Uh, you know, I took a swing and I'm glad that it worked out, but, uh, you know, <laughs> but, but I understand like that, that's real. Like, you know, I mean, I, I won't even get, I'm not going to get political into it, but um, yeah, there's people who, uh, you know, just think that if you have, if you're in a position, like you, you, you have to know everything, right? Like, yeah, you, you know about water. So you probably know about rocks and uh, dead animals and, and everything in nature. Right. I mean, you're smart. I also absolutely <laughs> loved the, um, Shoot, I forget his character name. Alex or Tommy Chong's character, his the his cat's name. Uh, the the, the wordplay with that throughout the movie was just fantastic. Oh yeah, <laughs> the, he's talking about the pussy and yeah, the cat named G Spot. It's like yes, yeah. You, you'll never find it. It's not going to look like how you think it will. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys um, when at towards the end of the movie that what I thought was like a really nice touch as you know, he's looking over this Valley where, where I can only assume uh, where, where they flooded, where the house and everything pro- probably was. And he says, I hope the water's deep enough, but I will never drink it. Um, 
Did you notice that um, as a hydrologist, he's smoking a cigarette and he threw the cigarette the cigarette into the water? It's just like there's it's like everything in this valley of, of water is just like it's beyond saving. You know, he's like, you know, if he's a scientist, you know, and he wants to preserve, you know, water and keep it clean. You know, the last thing he's going to do is like flick a cigarette into it. And I just thought, you know, it's like it. I just thought that was a nice touch. He's just like, it doesn't even matter. This is beyond saving. Yeah, you're fine. So, so we, we just did a bonus episode um, about our horror movie triggers that you can all go listen to at jointheattackers.com. But Insane Mike, tell me. I mean, we got to talk about this scene. I can't believe they did that with the little kid. <laughs> I know, and mom. It was the most hard thing to watch. It it was it, all it was of it, tough, but, especially those moments on the couch when you see yep. the kid. And towards those the end of those, were harder. Yeah, those twin. Well, for me, it was towards the end of that scene, or maybe it was it went more when they were in the attic. I don't remember. But when he just starts like wailing and screaming oh. and crying, like that is when it got really tough. Like. You know, when you see the kid's melted face fused on the back of this mother, you know, well, it's, it's makeup, you know, it's, but those, those cries, even though they were still like modulated, um, they, they were heartbreaking. And I want to give that, the, it's great that you bring that up um, and, and ask me about that. Cause I have my two key takeaways from this movie for me was um, never have I seen a monster or creature in a movie that I found both terrifying and heartbreaking at the same time as the, yeah. as the mommy kid mutant monster in the attic. Again, uh, Cause like the whole time my heart's breaking for what they're going through. And all I'm thinking is like, you, you freaking idiots. I don't care if you have to carry her out of the woods. Why are you <laughs> taking them to the, get them out of the, get them some help. You know, it just, it seems yeah. so like, you know what it may, may think about. Huh. Brundlefly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. Very much. Again, you know, I guess terrifying and, and sympathetic, but right. But that moment, but, f- but for me, as far as terrifying goes, that moment when she leaps off the vet bed and is like spider crawling yeah. towards the girl, it's a really <laughs> oh. cool aerial shot of, oh. I mean, it's, it's only a few seconds long, but it is an amazing few seconds um, of that. Like, that hybrid creature crawling towards the daughter and attacking the daughter. So cool. I was, I was expecting that creature to be much faster. Like it got up and then it just kind of like waddled across the room over to it. And I was, it was, you were kind of expecting like, no, this thing's just going to like pounce from the other side of the room. And, um, but yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think it was effective in the way it moved. I felt that it felt kind of creepy instead of more of like a jump shock scare it was creepy in its movement, but also I felt like it was more realistic. It's the whole, it's the whole zombie debate, right? Like, you know, fast moving zombies versus slow moving zombies. I'm always more of a slow moving zombie guy because in reality, it's deteriorating flesh, right? Yeah. They're not yeah. going to move fast. Uh, and then on the other side of that too, though, there, it didn't move like a slow moving zombie where, you know, actors think they have to like, be super jerky in their movement because they're a slow moving zombie and their bodies don't work right. I felt, it felt, it felt physically, it felt physically natural with the shape of that creature and the way it moved. And I appreciated that as well. But my other key takeaway from this movie is 
I have never seen a horror movie that made pink creepy. Like the colors in this movie are just gorgeous, beautiful. Oh my god, it's a beautiful looking movie. Absolutely. But as as more and more like those pink flowers or plants or whatever those are appearing all over the place, or when there's like shooting purple and pink light, uh, you know, from the from the well or from the from the meteor hole or from the barn or whatever. Um, I, it was like gorgeous and creepy at the same time. It's like, it really created a great sense of, of dread and terror in this movie. And it's pink. Yeah. I mean, how hard do you think, uh, Dario Gento gets when he watches this? <laughs> oh God. Yeah. <laughs> the digital effects artist, what dreams. I was creeped out by the mutated tomatoes too, for some odd reason, just oh, yeah. by the way that they looked. And, um, did you guys uh, catch all the other um, uh, Lovecraft uh, references in this in this film? No, tell them, tell us because I'm dumb. Uh, well, you're not dumb. It's just <laughs> no, uh, I'm dumb. It's okay. <laughs> uh, well, there was uh, she. She had the Necronomicon. That's not. That's technically not an Evil Dead reference. I mean, oh, the Necronomicon. Yeah. The Necronomicon is is mentioned, and uh, uh, the the T shirt that the hydrologist hydrologist was wearing. He's from Misatonic uh, yeah. University, which is uh, from Lovecraft, and it's also Herbert West's All the Matter. So, oh, oh sweet. Yeah, so check his check out the uh, hydrolysis hydrolysis hydrolysis. I can't say that hydrolysis. The water dude. Yeah, the H two O man, the the water boy, <laughs> um, <laughs> the water boy. <laughs> I got a, he, he's got a wooden spoon. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's got a uh, Missatonic uh, t shirt uh, on underneath his uh, overshirt. So. This movie would have been even better if Adam Sandler <laughs> played that character and he did it as the water. Like I, n- I never heard the word hydrologist until this movie, but everyone in the movie clearly <laughs> had all heard it before. And knows, and yeah, what he is. <laughs> but apparently they think he knows about space rocks and stuff. So He's just the science guy that hangs out in the tent. Like that's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Great movie, great movie. I, you know, never been a, the biggest fan of this particular Lovecraft story, but Richard Stanley does a really good job with it. And I've been kind of n- nervous going into it because as I think back of Richard Stanley's career, I think to myself, am I glorifying this guy because of Lost Souls? Because I did not like Dust, De- Dust Devil. Oh, Dust and, Devil. Uh, yeah, and... and I remember when we did hardware for the podcast, I could swear I remember not liking it then, but as the movie has sat with me for the years and maybe again, I'm glorifying it as well, but I feel like I like hardware. I need to go back and rewatch it, but that's his career. So, but yeah, like I maybe like too. a half of a good movie. <laughs> so I, I, I'm like, do I really like this guy? We'll find out. Turns out, I do. I do. He stays. I also still got. He still got. Um, you know, still got a lot more to prove. I think. But I also really appreciated the ending. Ending, um, of him, his little speak spoken outro. Because like, 
until then, I'm like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> like, talk about feeling dumb. I was like, what? I mean, I get it. Shit just kind of went crazy and exploded, but but what? And then so I appreciated yeah. they uh, helped me out. Yeah, with give his it, little yeah. speech yeah. at the end. I appreciate yeah. it. I had the same thing. It was like the you know the, the house blew up or whatever, and I'm like, wait, so the, the thing's just gone now? Like that? Right. What? <laughs> but yeah, it worked. I think the other character that was heartbreaking for me when when he went was the uh, the the older son in the well. That that one kind of got to mm. me too, guys. I feel like I feel like he was the most how innocent character in the whole movie. I mean, you know, he was a pothead or whatever, but uh, he just he just felt so like clueless and outcast through the whole movie, and just had this like you just want to help his dog. No, I look on his face, and he couldn't. He couldn't do anything right. Like he would go take care of the alpacas and, and he left them out. And then when the daughter goes yeah. outside, he's like, you were supposed to take care of the alpacas. And they're out in the yard. And he's like, I did. So he does it again. And then when the dad comes home, the alpacas are out and he's like, you were supposed to put the alpacas. <laughs> I did. He's like getting shit from everybody. Just get the fuck out of my face. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do you a favor. Oh. I'll get the fuck out of yours. Crazy Nick Cage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so moving on. Uh, Andy, what's our next movie? Our next movie is from 1988. It is a Chuck Russell and Frank Darabont jam. It is The Blob. If it had a mind... You could reason with it. If it had a body, you could shoot it. If it had a heart, you could kill it. Now, man is no longer the supreme being on this planet. The organism is growing at a geometric rate. By all accounts, it's at least a thousand times its original mass. Nobody believes me about what happened tonight. What did happen? You were there. You saw. Plasmid life form that hunts its prey. Predator. I want that organism alive. I think you ticked it off. no shape all right as i said before we this is a uh it's been, it was directed by chuck russell and co-written with uh frank darabont you might know those names uh because i believe that was part of the first darabont was like the first season of uh walking dead and uh he also he also helped write uh and help direct uh nightmare three with chuck russell am i right yep yeah that's yeah, definitely one of pretty, the writers yeah 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 so i mean there's 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 they've got some uh pedigree here um anyway 
Uh, as far as descriptions goes, we have a girl by the name of Meg Penny, played by uh, Shawnee Smith, who are yeah, insane. Mike carries a big torch for. Yeah. All right, and she's out on her first date with uh, this football player named Paul Taylor. More on him later, and. It doesn't go very well because they run into uh, a guy by the name of, what was it, Bri- uh, Brian Flagg, who's kind of like your tip. He's, he kind of strikes you as like a typical 50s biker greaser kind of type, but um, he's he's the misunderstood rebel in this. And <laughs> anyway, she he's... Uh, when he goes out to uh, fix his bike because uh, it crapped out on him before, you know out by this bridge and during this time a meteorite or a comet uh I, they were explained to me earlier but i spaced off um <laughs> but anyway it's 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 got a uh <laughs> yeah and you think you, you say you're dumb uh ted um <laughs> anyway uh this uh, hobo, uh, this transient, he goes out to investigate, and he gets a blob-like substance on his hand, and it's corrosive as shit, and starts, you know, eating away his hand. In the midst of this, uh, Brian goes out to, uh, you know, chase him, but he runs him out in front of uh, Meg and her date's car. He hits him with the car, so they all pile up in there, and they go to the doctor's office. While they're at the doctor's office, this blob just eats half this damn guy, and uh, it turns out whatever it eats, it becomes bigger and bigger. And as it gets bigger and bigger, the plot thickens, and it turns out that this blob is actually a biological weapon made by the government, and they're trying to they're trying to keep uh, dibs on this thing. So. They have to stop this thing from eating everything in sight, and that's pretty much your plot, folks. But I did like—I do want to point out um, there was a lot of familiar faces to me in this, which kind of surprised me. You actually have uh, Bill Mosley playing a soldier in one of the hazmat suits. Uh, you have—I uh, actually saw in the credits a soldier outside the hall is played by Richard Crenna Jr., which was uh, Sergeant Trotman's kid, I'm assuming, from Rambo. Uh, you have, um, let's see, who else? Uh, the guy who played George, who, who the actor's name, who escapes me, he gets uh, uh, sucked down a sink. Uh, he was actually the guy that was pushing drugs to the kids in uh, Nightmare 3. Um, you also have Erica Leniak who played, uh, Vicky, whose uh, face caves in, in this, she was in Bordello of Blood and she was also in Under Siege with, uh, Steven Seagal, who she had to kiss in that. And she got a, should have got hazard pay for that shit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, this movie is a lot of fun. Um, I'll, I'll step in, uh, when I get the chance, but also, uh, before I give you guys the reins, it was also cool to see Jack Nance, uh, a.k.a. Eraserhead, as the first uh, doctor we see in the hospital. So, uh, yes, and also Pete Martell from Twin Peaks. That's I said that one for Tad. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, go. 
Well, you missed a couple other uh, actors I want to point out. There's um, Paul McCrane played the deputy uh, who was also in RoboCop. He's the one oh, that gets milked emo. by the toxic yeah. waste. That's yeah. right. The guy from the Beatles? No. McCrane? Uh, McCartney? Uh, McCartney. Uh, um, and I want, definitely want to mention um, Jeffrey uh, 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 DeMunn. Uh, I don't think you mentioned him, did you? Uh, he plays the sheriff, and I me- I want to mention him because he shows up in a lot of Frank Darabont stuff. He was in oh, The okay. Miss. He was um, in The Walking Dead, uh, everybody's favorite guy from the first couple seasons that I'm blanking on. Somebody help me. Dale. Oh, the guy who drove the Winnebago, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, now I recognize him. And then for me, uh, one that always caught my attention back the first time I ever saw this is Del Close played the Reverend. Del Close mm-hmm. is kind of one of those um, like Jedi masters of improv. He uh, has trained a lot of um, famous comedians in the art of improvisation, and that's his big claim to fame. But for me, around this time when the movie came out, there was a DC Comics called Wasteland that was this weird, weird anthology comic um, Sometimes horror, sometimes comedy, sometimes um, like uh, um, self-exploratory stuff. And Del Close was a writer for this comic, which was at the time really weird because he's not that kind of guy. And he wrote some of my favorite stuff in Wasteland, including um, a little um, self-exploratory story about himself. And part of that was his time spent working on the movie, the blob. And that really caught my attention because there's these little art bubbles of in the comic of him and the Reverend outfit and the melted face. And it took me a while to put the two and two together after I saw the blob. But uh, yeah, those are the ones I wanted to, to mention. I, I actually, I do have another one, even though uh, her uh, cameo is very, very brief. The blonde, um, in Garden Tool Massacre, which was the uh, movie that uh, I believe uh, Kevin and Eddie were watching. That is Julie, uh, hopefully I can say her last name right, McCullough. And she was uh, Kurt Cameron's uh, girlfriend on Growing Pains. But apparently a little self-righteous Kurt didn't like what this woman, you know, didn't like a woman making her own decisions about her own fucking body. And she posed for Playboy. And since he's a fucking Jesus freak. Okay, not, you know, ragging on anybody. But, okay, I am. But, um, (laughs) uh, anyway, yeah, pretty much got her fired. So... Yeah. 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 She did that Playboy spread and got fired off of growing pains. Oh, one last and the most important actor in this whole movie, and that is Kevin Dillon's mullet. <laughs> Hair extensions, yeah. Not real. <laughs> God, I'd hope not. But what you two are, are saying, this is a perfect six degrees movie that helps you get <laughs> places, Mike. Six degrees to Kevin Dillon's mullet. <laughs> <laughs> I I've always been a fan of this movie. I love this movie. I love, I love all the blob movies. Um, the original with Steve McQueen, even that, that weird shitty one in the seventies, beware the blob directed by Larry Ham, um, Larry Hagman. Um, like J.R. Uh, Ewing, Larry Hagman. Yeah. Yeah. On the DVD box, it says Jesus. The, the film shot by J.R. 
<laughs> oh God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's, and it's bad. It's really bad, but I still love it. Cause I think just the concept alone of this particular alien monster is, is I find really cool. Just this gelatinous creature that devours you. And this one still to this day has, you know, there's, there's some, especially some of the um, optical effects don't quite hold up, you know, and they never yeah. do. Cause you can always, you can always tell an optical effect cause it, you know, if things feel matted and uh, lighting doesn't always match from shot to shot, um, stuff like that. But, uh, but some of those practical blob effects to this day, I'm still like, how did they do that? Still beautiful and, and, and seamless effects. And just some of those shots of, of uh, people getting devoured by this blob being totally succumbed by the blob. Like well, you know, when the boy, when the boyfriend gets it and she's reaching out to Shawnee Smith and well, she's yeah, that's pulling. like the, the classic image of that's what you think of, you know, you see that image when you, you hear about this movie of that, that guy just reaching his hand out, you know, um, Shout, shouting back to the bonus episode again. And Todd and Tad brought up a, about drowning. You know, I, I think of that when I watch those shots of like, say the boyfriend getting killed by the blob, it's not only is he, he can't breathe and is drowning inside the blob, but now he's also being corroded and digested yeah. by this creature at the same time. So, you know, add insult to injury there. And some of the, some of the, um, some of the gags that we saw with like, you know, when Shawnee Smith, you know, pushes that girl up off the theater floor and it just rips, you know, just completely, she's like pasted to the floor and it just rips like part of her flesh off, you know, um, mm-hmm. One of the main things that I really wanted to um, emphasize in this movie is that all the small characters, when they died, they made this feel like, you know, I mean, granted, it is a small town, but it you, you cared about when the people died for as what for as little as screen time as that they had, like, you know, you cared when the cop died you know, uh, like when the sheriff died, even though you didn't see him all that much, you cared when the main waitress died, you, you oh, know, but you, that's an, that's such an effective scene. Yes. You don't see the sheriff yeah. die, but it's, it's such a, it's such oh, a yeah. punch in, in the, the gut in the phone booth. Yeah. Yeah. When like the, the, mm-hmm. the waitress is calling, calling for help from the sheriff and it turns out, Oh no, the sheriff already yeah, got it. Already got, yeah. You already got you or, and the one that really got me, the one that, that really surprised me was when, um, poor little Eddie got it in the, uh, sewer, you know, you, you, you'd think that the kid was going to make it out, you know, I mean, granted he was on ornery little shit, but I mean, he was still a pretty, a good, pretty good kid, but <laughs> you were hoping he was going to be, he was going to make it out, but no man, he just, he's done. I mean, he was like the bad influence friend, right? So that was like, yeah, okay to get rid of him. <laughs> yeah. Yep, a moral story. Yeah. Don't be the asshole. Even if you're a, you know, a 10 year old asshole. <laughs> well, you guys realize this is a first time watch for me. Oh, cool. oh that's right. Yes. Cool. I'm so, awesome. I'm so excited for you. Yes. I can't wait to hear. Yeah. It was a blast. I mean, it, uh, it's tough for me because I try to keep my expectations in check. Uh, you know, this has been hype to me for a long time. Um, uh, just a lot of different film directors talk about how great this is. Uh, a lot of obviously horror fans. Um, and 
you know, I try to keep my expectations in check and I really did enjoy it. Um, it's a lot of fun. The effects are freaking awesome. It's just another one of those, um, eighties horror movies. That's a blast. Like I, I, you know, I want to definitely check out the screen factory edition and find out more about it and the history. But there was a lot of stuff that took me by surprise. I wasn't expecting, like you said, the boyfriend at the beginning, uh, at the hospital when they, take the dude in like i i didn't expect him to go so quick like they sort of set him up for you to like him and then he's gone really fast um yeah that took me by surprise he was the janet lee of the blob right like i really liked him and he was a good guy and he you know was uh he actually seemed to care about the the person the dude they found and brought him in and was really concerned and then he gets it right away and it's like well shit man what now I too have always loved this movie. It's been amazing and awesome and always loved it. It's probably the movie that made me want to get a motorcycle. <laughs> um, but it all comes down to me for Tony Gardner's effects. They're just brilliant and groundbreaking. And it's just what makes the movie for me. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Again, they're just so seamless. I, I oh, think. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. Uh, I was just going to say, I think that this movie could easily uh, be remade and made to look like really, really good. But uh, I was questioning myself. It's like, would, would today's audience want to see it? Would they, would, would they shun it? You know, because, you know, it's a blob. I mean, but and then yeah. I get, then I start to think to myself, I mean, there's got Jesus Christ, there's four Sharknadoes, you know, I mean, this, this would probably, you know, probably somebody would want to, I mean, I'd, I'd go see it. You guys know who was attached to do a new blob, right? Rob Zombie. Rob Zombie. Oh, wow. Yeah. White trash blob. It would be like hairy and have teeth and like six vaginas and <laughs> it, it would smoke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and we have a full on beard. It would yeah. be it would be eating Rugsville, you know. <laughs> God, God knows what it would catch, you know, if it started eating the residents of that place, you know. But. <laughs> I could have sworn, though, I had read or had heard at one time during its development with Rob Zombie that um, it was going to, the movie was doing the remake of The Blob without having The Blob in it. Boo. I know, what, what would that even mean? Like, and again, you know, it's Rob Zombie, so who knows, you know, where that quote comes from at the time of how he was feeling. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like the blob could, you know, you could do, it's, it's always been a bummer to me that there has not been more blob movies. And this movie obviously <laughs> sets up uh, the possibility for a sequel, but it just didn't do the box office that they wanted in order to do a sequel, which is a bummer. I would love to see where that would go with the, the crazy priest at the end, but you know, it's a, it's a, it's a simplistic yet really effective monster. I feel like, and I mean, I, there's, I think there's a place in this world for it an audience for it. I mean, one of the most popular monsters in like dungeons and dragons are gelatinous cubes, even so much so that they've made a pop figure of the gelatinous cube. So there's gotta be some commercial um, appeal to the blob. Cubes or pubes. Yes. I'm really excited to to hear what the space and stuff guy. <laughs> yeah. About. Yeah, no there I mean there was there was a lot like even holding off on the on the space and stuff one of the things when you guys mentioned earlier was that I really thought was a, a great practical effect was the uh, the 
the girl like melting into the movie theater floor during that scene. Yeah. Uh, it, it just looked so good. And like, yeah, there were some, there were some like chroma key shots and stuff that you could observe. But that one was one that was just like really, really enjoyed, really nicely done. And um, the, the flags character is sort of like the, the, the nod to Steve McQueen uh, enjoyed the part where he's like, has the, he, he nails the motorcycle jump and then turns around and like flicks off the guys chasing them, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. Ah, <fuck> you. <laughs> and I think actually my favorite part with flag was uh, early on in the diner. And he totally does the like AC Slater, William Riker, where he like <laughs> back of the chair and like sits down like, again. Nobody actually does that, but okay. <laughs> you know? Um, and, uh, and yeah, the other, the one, uh, the one other thing that just kind of made me laugh was when the, uh, when the priest comes back into town and he sees like the blob disappear into the sewer and then he sees the diners like been, you know, bombed out and there's broken windows and he goes, and he's like, you know, looking in, calling for people, seeing if there's anybody there. And then finally he gets into the back and there's like, you know, a cat, you know, drinking milk off the floor or something. And he just looks at it and gets this like smile on his face. Like, Oh, it was just the cat. No, obviously there's a little more going on. Um, but yeah, it was, it was interesting because watching the, um, I, I had seen this once before, but it, it's been, it'd been at least 20 years. Like it, it was a long time ago. And so I remember obviously like watching and paying attention. So like when the, you know, the meteorite comes in, I kind of, you know, I, w- I watch it and I rewind it and I watch it again. And you know, when it, when it initially comes in, you see it and it, it looks kind of like a, like a silver satellite or a spacecraft or something. And then when it, it cuts to like it landing on the ground and it's big, like impact crater, and it actually looks a lot like the meteorite from, or the, it looks like a lot from, like the meteor from color out of space. It's, you know, kind of dark and charred with some, you know, pinkish, uh, there's, there's some ooze to it, right? You can see the, the sort of the gelatinous blob creature in there, uh, which again, wouldn't actually have, uh, <laughs> in, in a real meteor. Um, but again, it was good. You know, it was, there was, there was obviously like, you could see like down a hill, it had cleared a path. There was, there was a, you know, a crater that it landed in, which was, was good. Uh, I, I did take uh, offense to there were, there was no, well, not offense, but like there was, there was one line when the, um, was the guy's name? He was like the, the lead government scientist, um, Dr. Meadows. Meadows, Meadows. Yeah. And he was, he was explaining and he said like, you know, it was a, there was a rock from space that carried a bacteria and that's what killed the dinosaurs. And, that's not what killed the dinosaurs. Uh, it was a rock from space. Uh, it was about a, I don't know, about a five, 10 mile wide rock from space that landed in the Gulf of Mexico. And it left this huge hundred mile across crater on uh, the Yucatan Peninsula. And then under the actual, under the actual Gulf and that uh, kicked up material in the atmosphere. Uh, and it basically just destroyed, you know, it, it ended the Cretaceous period. It, it killed the dinosaurs ended, you know, the vast majority of life on the earth. Um, but again, that was just the rock, you know, it didn't need <laughs> any kind of alien area to, uh, the rock does uh, enough. do any of that. Yeah. Not, not that rock, but the a, a rock going to school. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> uh, the one thing that I actually, I do take offense to this and then I will shut up about this movie is the trunk of this idiot's car. That's going on a date with, uh, that Vicky gal, uh, Erica Aleniak. Um, apparently this guy has never had a flat tire because he carries around all that bullshit in the trunk of his car, you know, <laughs> with like, you know, yeah. grenadine and Hawaiian punch and all the, <laughs> uh, you know, class rings and fucking basketball hoops. I'm just like, what a dipshit. No wonder this guy's not getting laid. I, I I gotta admit, like when I was a kid, I couldn't wait to be old enough to have my own car. So I would, 
do that to my trunk. And <laughs> <laughs> be stranded when your tire goes flat. Yeah, but I would have a good time. But I would have a good time while I waited for AAA. Uh, Jason, were you were you with me that time for I, the Iowa Digital Filmmakers Guild where I did that seminar on horror movie screenwriting? Do you remember? Do you remember that? Probably. And one of the uh, one of the things for that event is that we had lunch. Um, downtown Des Moines with one of the, I think he was one of the writers of the original blog because I guess he lived in Des Moines at the time or I don't know if he still does or not, but I can't remember the guy's name. Nope. You remember that at all? On that. Nope. Okay. Must've made a huge impact. Right. <laughs> it's been so long ago. And actually the lunch was a little lame because apparently I think it was like uh, the Christian church was a producer was backing the original blob. So his kind of, his kind of um, his lecture during lunch about the blob kind of turned a little preachy, a little religious preachy. So, yeah, wasn't as wasn't it was as the exact is the exact opposite of what Mike taught us. He's like dinosaurs didn't exist. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I saw something about that when I was I was looking it up online. That apparently, yeah, the the original blob was I don't know partially funded or kind of pushed by some Christian groups. Yeah, um, which was interesting. <laughs> That's crazy. Like Plan Nine from Outer Space. Yeah, I think it may, <laughs> if I remember it, I think it was kind of the same situation where they wanted to make a commercial film, so then they could turn around and back um, some religious films. But I don't know if that's true or not, or if I'm just, or if I'm just remembering Ed Wood at this point. Well, you know that um, Christian groups definitely would have been behind Rob Zombie's The Blob. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, one of my favorite memories of this movie is weirdly um, before this podcast existed. Mike and I used to have this review show um, <laughs> called Insane Mike's or uh, in the ins- Insane uh, Asylum reviews of Insane oh, Asylum, yeah, and, and uh, which you can still find on YouTube. Yep, and uh, he basically recapped this movie scene by scene. this maybe works Insane where the one minute. Uh, top 10 list came from you talking fast, but he <laughs> recaps the entire movie of the blob in about six minutes. I mean, a scene for scene, every scene at 9,000 miles an hour, one breath, it seemed like, and it was amazing. I don't know. The one part, the part of that I remember, and I was thinking about it too. So I'm glad you brought it up. The part <laughs> I remember is when I'm, when I'm um, reenacting Shawnee Smith's scene at the end with the machine gun yelling at the blob. You can yeah. do better than that. Come on. Maybe that's why the show got canceled on. <laughs> oh, but Shawnee Smith, right? I mean, come She's on. adorable in this. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, one more. Yeah. Building on that. It was, it was really interesting to see the, you know, there was kind of the, the tip off for the audience with them in the, in the freezer about what will, you know, what will kill the blob and Shawnee Smith remembered it and came back to it later. Meanwhile, this whole like, you know, government task force agency is just like going to shoot at the thing, right? That's their like, oh, that's the, they're all running around with guns and that's, you know, their solution is just to, you know, shoot the blob. And it's like, are they really experts on this? Shouldn't shouldn't they maybe have known a little bit more about that? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad that the town got their snow season back, but I'm pretty sure their sewage system is fucked. (laughs) They're throwing a thermal charge down in there. It was also hilarious knowing that that movie was filmed in like southernmost South Louisiana, which is where I used to live. 
and then oh, nice. having them having them pass it off as like this you know winter mountain town with like ski resorts and everything <laughs> this is not this no <laughs> a snow machine let's just throw in a snow machine and a couple snowmobiles people will think it's a ski town all right so moving on to our last movie jason what do you got for us Oh my gosh, guys. The next movie is so awesome. <laughs> it, it, uh, I, sadly, it's like I, growing up, I, I thought it was just a, everyone loved this movie, but I guess it's a love or hate movie, but it's one <laughs> of my favorite movies from the eighties. Uh, maximum overdrive. Hi, my name is Stephen King. I've written several motion pictures. But I want to tell you about a movie called Maximum Overdrive, which is the first one I've directed. Wow. What in the dickens is going on around here? A lot of people have directed Stephen King novels and stories. And I finally decided if you want something done right, you ought to do it yourself. Who was driving it? It was my first picture as a director, and you know something? I sort of enjoyed it. I don't know! I just wanted someone to do Stephen King right. You want a war? You got one. I just want to get the hell out of here. So come and spend some time with me and my friends at the Dixie Boy. Spend some time in the dark. Please don't let us be in the dark. Help me. I'm going to scare the hell out of you. And that's a promise. You're going to get us in an awful lot of trouble, man. We already in trouble. Maximum terror. Jesus coming and he is. Maximum king. Maybe tomorrow will be our world again. Dino De Laurentiis presents Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive. After a comet causes a radiation storm on Earth, I can't wait to find out that that's possible, (laughs) machines come to life and turn against their makers. Hold up in a North Carolina truck stop, a group of survivors must fend for themselves against a mass of homicidal trucks. A diner cook, Bill Robinson, played by Emilio Estevez, emerges as the unlikely leader of the pack, attempting to find an escape plan for himself and the survivors, who include his boss, Bubba Hendershot, and a newlywed couple. Guys, <laughs> I love this movie. Gosh. What's not to like? I'm so glad you played the trailer just because I, I, I love that. Tra- that trailer just summarizes how batshit <laughs> stupid and awesome this movie is. <laughs> they, they stole the music yeah. directly from Halloween 3. Uh, I was going to say that. <laughs> it wrote, wrote on the gimmick of Stephen King directing, which we see this is the reason he hasn't done it since. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like... I imagine that the execs watch the movie and they're like, uh, let's just put Steven Wright in the trailer. Um, we're just going to sell it on that. That's what we're going to go for. My favorite line in the trailers when he's talking about, um, I directed it myself and I kind of, and I kind of, 
<laughs> and I'm or thinking, not. yeah, I bet you did like cocaine back in the 80s. I was going to say, yeah, this is when he was heavy into the nose gold, right? The fact that Yeardley Smith went on to have a wildly successful career as a voiceover artist after doing this movie yeah. is maybe one of the most incredibly impressive <laughs> I could possibly imagine. Because like, I'm a pretty tolerant person, but I have never wanted to just punch a character every time they came on the screen. <laughs> Quite the way I felt about her role as screeching sidekick wife uh, in this film. Are you dead? Connie and Curtis. Connie and Curtis. Gotta love him. The guy who plays Curtis, I don't, I'm wondering if he improved a lot of his stuff. There's the scene, the scene that has always got me in this movie is the scene when him and Emilio are crawling through the sewers, right? And and they're having playful banter. I mean, there's killer trucks out there, and and they're having this playful banter in the sewer that especially this last time watching, I'm like this feels really poorly improv. Like they did, probably had no dialogue for the scene. And Steven's just like, you know, say whatever you want. You know, Emilio kind of falls in the water a little bit. And Connor's like, oh, how's it taste? You know, or the rat and Emilio's like, Hey, I'm sending, I'm sending a friend back to you. And Connor's like, Oh shit. And they're all like chuckling and having a good old time crawling through this sewer. I wonder how many people have peed in this. Yeah. You know? exactly. It's like, who says that shit? I really feel like they were grasping at straws to think of things to say for that scene. And I think there's a couple moments that Connor has that's just like that. I love the fact that there's somewhere in North Carolina that there is a pop machine that's like a double-barreled like pitching <laughs> machine. I've never seen another goddamn, another soda machine like that, like ever, in on my 40 years on this earth. But uh, awesome. Um I do want to say that I I first saw this movie when I was like, I think I might have been, I, yeah, I think I was seven years old when I first saw this, and it was uh, I was with my I was with my uncle George, and uh, we we rented some videos because I was staying with him at the time, and it was a it, it, this was part of a double feature. I watched this. Uh, maximum overdrive and over the top. Yes. Oily, sweaty men, Tad. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's a lot of caffeine and a lot of testosterone for like an eight year old to handle. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I think I woke up the next morning, my balls had dropped and I grew a mustache, but, uh, yeah, this was, uh, I, I have, love this movie you know the the first the first time i saw it i mean it's got great one-liners just you know wanda june just going completely ape shit we made you and um it's got uh el polo locos uh uh giancarlo esposito uh the guy who dies in the uh video game room breaking bad guy oh yeah yeah Yeah. um and Hend- Hendershot is Hendershot is great, <laughs> and uh, yeah, just 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 the way that guy talks just cracks me up. Um, yeah, I as as bad as this movie is, I I I just I I love this damn movie. Uh, yeah, the fact that the guy uh, restored the the Green Goblin. Uh, front end of the truck and he takes it you know on and 
you know, to conventions now is just awesome. Um, this movie was like one of my favorite um, Blu-ray releases one year. Oh yeah, that Vestron. It's a great Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, what 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 can be said? I mean, just like the, I mean, I was kind of like in awe just you know rewatching it, just that seeing that um, that truck fall from the middle of the bridge. I was just like, that's actually pretty damn cool. Yeah. I was just gonna say that's the thing with this movie. It's, it's, um, yes, it's uh, logic is out the window with this movie. Things, you know, the, it breaks its own rules at every turn. Um, uh, it's, it's technically not a good movie, but it is a fun ass movie. There's so many fun visuals, you know. Yes, um, uh, 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 army truck. Um, shooting up a you know a waitress with a machine gun that has no mechanical mechanisms attached to it um, from the jeep that can shoot independently, yet they can carry around bazookas and machine guns that don't go off on their own. Doesn't make sense, but it's still cool. It's still cool to see them blow up a truck with a bazooka. Um, so, yeah, uh, yes, the fast food restaurant. Um, uh, drive-through window speaking independently. That's not how uh, drive fast food windows work. But it's still yeah, a cool. It's still a cool moment in the movie as well. It's just that's just it. It's like when you get on a on a roller coaster and they put the bar down, but you could see like maybe it's missing a couple screws on the bars or like you know the the tracks a little rickety. Um, you still get on the roller coaster and still have a good time, even though it should be condemned. But uh, you still have a good time. So that's kind of how I sum up this movie. I was just curious. When did Walkmans get so damn pissed off at him too? You know, just like oh, that's that is an epiphany I had this last viewing, and I think I have one every single at a new thing every single th- time I watch this movie. Because when that girl is hanging there dead, death by her Walkman, the, you could hear the broadcast over the radio saying "Avoid all electronics," and I'm thinking <laughs> you're in a radio station right now, surrounded by <laughs> electronics. People are listening to this broadcast through electronics. You are defeating the whole purpose of your broadcast right now, sir. Or the sprinklers going on and off that, you know, are not, uh, they're not underground sprinklers, mind you. This is like, you know, 1986. And they would just go on and off. So those weren't like electrical or anything like that at all. So I just thought that was a little odd. This is my first time watching this. Um, oh, nice! I will. I have a few observations. First and foremost, um, I am a very big vocally vocal hater of ACDC in general. But mm-hmm. how? Per- I mean, this is like the best use of ACDC ever because this movie is so big and dumb that there are three chords and the screeching is like perfect for this. Like if they've ever ha- had a purpose, it was to make music for this dumb movie. Um, <laughs> after I watched it, I, I did a little bit of uh, half-assed IMDb research. And so I have to ask uh, insane Mike is what, what are your thoughts on the, on the rumor that George Romero um, ghost directed, like a lot of this movie because uh, King was out for his cocaine problems. Holy shit. I had never heard that before. Yeah, a lot wow. of people when they saw it recognize a lot of George Romero's um, 
edits and his um, signature camera angles and shots. And so people jumped on it and uh, Stephen King never denied it, but he said that uh, Romero was on the set for a lot of the movie to watch it get shot. So it would, it would, uh, now I'm fuck. Now I'm gonna have to go watch it again. Oh, darn. Oh yeah. Oh darn. I know. Right. But now I'm gonna have to watch it with the lens of, of George's lens, you know, um, that's incredible. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know what to think of that right off the top of my head. I mean, I mean, I, I know if, if it's, if, it, if George is involved, it, it would only probably be part-time because there's still a lot of famous stories about Stephen King as a director, most famously, um, the big lawsuit where the DP sued lost the an eye. Yeah. Lost an eye, uh, from, um, what was a it? Remote lawnmower? controlled lawnmower hitting a piece of wood. Yeah, and wow. that, oh, going, uh, that piece of wood going into the guy's eye. Yeah, um, George, George would never let that happen. I'm a little curious when uh, the kid in this movie, where did he know, uh, how did he know where the baseline was when he slid into home? Because I'm curious, uh, Stephen might have snorted it. <laughs> <laughs> Two moments of this movie that freaked me out as a kid. And I still think are really good moments uh, amongst all the tomfoolery that goes on in this movie. One, the kid, again, another kid death. Um, and this one affected me in a different way because oh. I was a kid at the time watching this movie and discovering, really getting into horror, not seeing very much kid death, but that kid getting run over by a steamroller. <laughs> <laughs> and the other, I still think it's kind of a creepy moment when the um, Bible salesman is dying in the ditch and the boy goes into the ditch and the, and he grabs him and he's like, you, you pull me out of here. Or I'll kill you. You know, I, I think that's probably the creepiest movie of the whole movie. Yeah. Uh-huh. When, when he pushed, I mean, he's, he's getting onto this whole, like, you know, selling the Bible spiel and he's acting all self-righteous and high and mighty. And then, the the semi hits his Cadillac and he pushes Wanda June out of the way and he says, "Get out of my way, bitch!" And just, I'm like, "Whoa!" He just—I mean—he just completely one eighties like in that moment because he's so bad after. And I think when he pulled in there, he lost like six hug, like you know, I'm sorry, four hubcaps. Like when he, you know, he got jerked off the road. See, and that's the thing. How come is it? Connie, Kurt and Connie, is that right? Yes, yes. How come when they're discovering, when they're getting chased by vehicles and whatnot, and when they end up at the Dixie Boy, how come their car never took over? You know, it's, it's, it's stuff like that. There's just so much inconsistency. Yeah, or or the the Bible salesman's Cadillac. How come that, you know, exactly. it, didn't go, it didn't go nuts? Exactly. Um there's a great episode. I don't know if you could still find it anymore of how this get made where they did maximum overdrive and half of the episode is spent debating what is a machine. What isn't it's, it's so funny, but uh, uh, back to the Bible salesman back to you, Andy, I'm surprised, you know, you know, you're the movie quote guy pulling outrageous movie quotes <laughs> out of movies. I'm surprised you don't have carpal tunnel from all the great lines in this movie, writing them down. Oh, just let's let's sing. Uh, did that thing go rabbit on you, sweet thing? Um, <laughs> but he must have been a hot wire champion. Um, 
Uh, let's see. I don't give a ladybug. Get on in here. Um, let's see. That's uh, yeah. But H- Hendershot's actually pretty. <laughs> Shit. You want war? I'll give you war. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hendershot's Hendershot's actually pretty easy to do. Um, I like the guy in the arcade when he just looks at the arcade machine and goes, "Your yo mama, mama. <laughs> your mama." Yeah, of course. I I would. I was just gonna say, I wish I could do Emilio Estevez's laugh because that 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 laugh is so damn infectious. You know, even when he's doing Billy the Kid and all that other stuff. Stephen King wanted, um, oh, uh, the boss, uh, Bruce Springsteen, to be the lead. Obviously, that wow. didn't happen. Uh, and then Busey wanted to play the lead, and they did not <laughs> cast him. You want to share his cocaine with Busey? And- yeah, th- th- there would have been too much. The the cocaine budget would have been too high with <laughs> Busey. Yeah, I was going to say, they'd have to have a separate co- uh, trailer for all the cocaine. Yeah, the, the there would be a truck of cocaine. Wow. Go ahead. Probably, probably my favorite line in the movie, and I'll share that before I go dive into the uh, the, the science because the, the the scientific possibilities of this one are actually actually pretty interesting. Um, but there's a, a scene toward the end when the group is like making their way to the to the uh, to the marina, and um, the uh, the kids got the he gets the gun. They go to the drive-through speaker, and he goes and he shoots up the drive-through speaker, and he goes, "This is for my dad, you loudmouth son of a bitch." <laughs> then he like turns and gets morose and like hands the gun to. Uh, um, to one of the other characters, and just goes, "I don't want this anymore." <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> like, just this, just crazy weird, like one eighty uh, in whatever he was thinking, and you know, he he got it out, and he he you know, shot up the speaker and and made up for it, and then you know, became a pacifist. Um, yeah, wasting a menu is apparently very cathartic. <laughs> I mean, it was the eighties, right? It's. Um, but yeah, so like from, like from the very beginning, this movie kind of like throws some, throws some science at you, right? Like the, the, the initial introductory graphic tells you that there's this, uh, this rogue comet and the earth is passing through its tail and, um, it, it visualizes it kind of strangely. It shows this big, like green gassy cloud surrounding the earth, um, which not, not so scientific there, but uh, the idea of the earth like passing through the tail of a comet. Well, we kind of mentioned earlier um, comets tails are basically made up of like bits of dust and gas that are um, coming off of the comet uh, off the, the, the core off the body of the comet. And all that stuff does just stay in space. So as comets travel in those huge elliptical orbits around the sun, they leave a little like debris trail behind them. And, at certain times each year, as the Earth goes around the sun, the Earth passes through different, uh, basically little leftover debris fields from different comets. And those are when we have uh, predictable meteor showers. So, you know, meteors, little, most meteors are, are really small. They're, they're bits of rock or dust, you know, the size of your fingernail. And that, you know, there's, you, you can see meteors any clear night of the year, but when there are those meteor showers, when the Earth passes through those comet leftovers, you might be able to see dozens or even hundreds of meteors an hour from a nice uh, dark location. Uh, actually, the next next big meteor shower is called the Geminids, and it'll be coming up in, in early to mid-December. Um, but so, like, the Earth doesn't, you know, pass direct, doesn't regularly, you know, pass through. Uh, the Earth could pass through the tail of a comet, but it's, it's, it's highly unlikely because space really is just huge. There's a 
an incredible amount of empty space, you know, around all the planets. Uh, but we do pass through the the leftovers, the sort of the remains of comets' tails, and we do that, you know, multiple, you know, dozens of times a year. Um, and then the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting was they carried that like green cloud graphic through because every time it was uh, night in the movie, the sky was lit up and it was, it looked very much like the Aurora Borealis looked very much like the, the Northern lights. Uh, you had this like green, you know, hazy kind of wispy sky effect going on. Um, then again, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get from the earth passing through the tail of a comet, but, um, the, the Aurora, the Northern lights, which, uh, uh, Aurora in a nutshell. So basically, um, the sun ejects uh, plasma into space. Uh, you have these sort of solar prominences and these like eruptions, these explosions on the, the surface of the sun. And they, they ju- it just flings uh, plasma and, and gas off into space. And here at the Earth, we have our two magnetic poles. We have the, the North Pole and the South Pole. And basically, those, that plasma, that solar, uh, that material from the sun is drawn toward the Earth's magnetic poles. And it interacts with the atmosphere. And that interaction with our atmosphere creates the northern lights and the southern lights, those kind of wispy, oftentimes green, but sometimes there can be other other colors as well. There can be, you know, reds and yellows. Um, so it's kind of a kind of a weird like mashup of I, I have to assume that was like an inspiration for them in creating that visual effect was to try to recreate the northern lights, um, uh, which was interesting. And then at the very end, something that I thought was actually interesting, I wanted to ask you guys about, uh, because this was also a, also a first watch for me. So in the sort of like prologue text panels at the end, they talk about, they say, you know, two days later, a large UFO was destroyed in space by a Russian weather satellite <laughs> nuclear missiles. And I'm like, so I'm guessing there was some kind of implication that it was actually the UFO had like somehow set like... It, it seemed just like really out of left field. Like, why are you introducing this concept of a UFO in the last like 30 seconds of the movie? <laughs> like, and, and not just, and not just introducing it, but in text, there's no visual component. There's no storytelling moment of this UFO thing. It's just in the text at the very end. Yeah. And it was, it was destroyed by, you know, by, by obviously a Russian like spy satellite or something. It's like, uh, okay, cool, whatever. Uh, and then it mentioned uh, that was actually another kind of interesting thing was they they talked about they used very precise from like the opening from in the opening title card uh, you know graphics they were talking about how it was you know the Earth passed into this comet tail at this precise moment like it was like down to the second and then it would it would pass out again in precisely you know eight days or whatever it is and yeah it's not like we we don't actually measure it that precisely right it's <laughs> um, <laughs> but again I think maybe an attempt to like you know try to science it up a little bit and make it seem more. Uh, more more complicated than it really is. Trying to science it up in a movie that does not in- understand anything about science, including Co- how machines work. Cocaine's <laughs> a hell of a drug. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they did like there was uh they they did get an actual like picture of a comet. There was a like a, a newspaper early on announcing this arrival of the comet, and it was actually like they got an actual picture of a comet. So I was like, okay, that's you know <laughs> half the battle. Check check one in the, in the good science column. That's. <laughs> oh, this movie's just so much fun so good i mean i know it's a lot of nostalgia for me because i yeah i saw it when i was a way too young probably but i was a boy who played baseball and rode around the neighborhood on a bike and was afraid of pop machines after this and <laughs> man double barrel just, one, I, no less i don't know what it is i can't like i know all you guys keep saying like i know it's not a good movie 
because of these technical flaws. I just don't even see them. I just, I just love it. This there was a point where Yearly Smith says, um, doesn't she say something like, eat my shorts? I'm like, that's a fucking Bart Simpson line. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, maybe that's <laughs> to where the Bible, came from. To the Bible salesman, she says, eat my shorts. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Prophetic. I love the fact that when the Bible man runs out there to like confront what he thinks is a some uh, a drunk son of a bitch, as he calls him. I love the fact that he takes his like his Bible case with him. You know, he doesn't. You know, he he has to take it outside with him, with his. Yeah. You know, his his. I guess his his sales case. Just thought like that it's, was- the, it's the Professor Harold Hill. Like he's got to grab the merchandise and run, kind of thing. Cause, you know. <laughs> another another thing that I noticed is that Yardley Smith, when she when they stop into that first gas station and see that uh, that dead attendant where that truck be, that first begins to chase them. She comes out of the car with the, the topper of their wedding cake. Like, why did she feel inclined to take that with her as she got out of the car? You know, <laughs> was she like holding it like a teddy bear or something like to protect her? I was like, why, why is she holding What the, why it doesn't make it. It didn't make any sense to me. I mean, the movie made perfect sense to me, but you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. I'm glad that we can have an excuse to talk about this movie every couple of years on the show and just <laughs> keep coming back. I love it. I mean, even though it's not like a good movie, but it's, it's not like a well-made movie or whatever, but it's, it's so entertaining to me. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's, 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 it's fun. I it, think it's fun. Who made you? <laughs> It's to call it a bad movie is is a little bit of an injustice. It's just what I'm saying is, and what I think most of us are saying are, is we we recognize, especially on a story level, that uh, you know that there's 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 issues, but the movie still manages to be to do its job to be a to a fun and entertaining hour and a half thrill ride despite all those issues or maybe even because of those issues. Yeah. A gun on a pole can totally turn itself around because it's a machine. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Cool. It's, it's space and stuff. You don't know. <laughs> a lot of weird uh, stuff out there. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's a movie that you just, just, you know, just in this day and age of like, making fun of and nitpicking like plot holes or storylines or whatever, when it comes to, when it comes to media, um, this is a movie that you just, you have to turn all that off and just, and just have fun for crying out loud. Just have fun. Yeah, I'm so glad we got some first time watches on this one. I can Always think of like a hundred different things to a hundred different cooler things to mount an M90 machine gun on other than like that glorified golf cart that, that it was <laughs> put on, but whatever. I mean, Hey, I'm cool with it. I still like the movie. And didn't Emilio call that golf cart, the muscle. Wasn't that when he's like, see that one, there's the leader. He's, <laughs> and that one's the muscle. It was a great impression. That's good. That was my Emilio. Yeah. I was saying, I think Tad really summed up earlier with like the ACDC reference. It is just like a big, dumb, fun movie. Like it, <laughs> it fits with the music. It's just this like stuff's going right from the get go and it's going to be weird and it's going to be out there, but just, you know, go with it. Have fun. Mm-hmm. 
I love it. I'm still overthinking the George Romero thing. Yep. Because uh, now I'm thinking about specific scenes. I'm like, you know what? It does feel George Romero-y. Like that whole, the, the whole bridge scene. You want to talk about editing? That, that does have some, really feels like some George Romero editing. There's a lot of cuts in that to tell the story. Oh, oh, man, this is getting to me. Rewatch. See what you did, Ted? I'm glad I did this. Yeah, I'm, glad, I'm glad you did too. I'm, I can't wait to rewatch it's it. A, yet it again. is interesting. It's interesting. I, I had never heard that theory. Yeah, me, me neither. But uh, that's, that's it for the, uh, those are the films for this episode. Um, doesn't mean the show is over though, folks. Uh, we still have a lot more to go. So we're going to take a quick break so you can hear all about our network, the prescribed films podcast network. We can hear dozens and dozens of shows just as cool or if not cooler than this one um so check that out and we will be right back and it'll be segments time here on attack of the killer podcast you're listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. And we're back. So it's time for segments here on Attack of the Killer Podcast to round out the show. And we're going to start off, as we always do, with some shout-outs. It's time for... Shout-outs! everybody's favorite segment. Uh, so we asked all, everywhere, all our social medias, what is your favorite horror movie featuring a comet? And on our Facebook page, we got Eric Ian Steele says life force. Yeah. yeah. That movie rules. Yeah, it does. It's so good. Oh, I do. Totally. Toby Hooper, man. Oh, completely. Patrick Stewart, right? Naked girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Matilda May. And then um, over in our Facebook group, the group edition, we got Brian Clark. He says, Life Force is the correct answer. <laughs> although not technically comets, the green slime is a banger with the Sci-Fi Channel original Within the Rock, while Cheap and Derivative has a cool monster. We like monsters. Green slime? No. Green slime is great, and it's got one of the greatest theme songs in cinema history. How's it go? Green slime. I know there's a whole song for the title. It's crazy. Thanks, Brian. Oh, he's not done. He says, as long as I'm not playing by the rules, <laughs> he never when does. Brian start? Yeah. He says the blob and day of the Triffids too. And most importantly, Ghidorah and the three headed monster. Hey, nerd, I hear you saying that's not horror. <laughs> it has a girl getting possessed by a Martian ghost, and Ghidorah's basically a Lovecraftian great old one. So, yeah. <laughs> that's Brian Clark. 
Had to be a Godzilla reference. Okay, we got Chris Anderson says, predictable answer. I know, but I love Night of the Comet. Woo! Hell yes. So good. I, I just got that on Blu-ray for my birthday, and Nikki bought it for me. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so That's I own Dream Factory release? Oh, yeah. Yep. Nice. Yeah, we just talked about it a couple episodes ago. Which is why we didn't do it on this one. Yep. Maybe made you think of this one, but probably. I think that's I think that's where I did come up with the uh, idea for this one. And then lastly on the Facebook group, we got our new attacker, Colby Keefe says hey. Attack the Block. Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, good one. Yeah. yeah. That was a good one. That movie great is movie. so good. Allow it. And yeah. Over on um, our Instagram, we got, oh, he's not done. We got the gore score says critters. The townspeople thought it was a comet. So that counts, right? Yeah, yeah. sure. Totally. Hey. And then we got Don and Nelly says Valley of the Dragons is the only thing that comes to mind. Although I smell a rewatch of Mosquito is necessary as I can't remember if that's how they were mutated or not. Anybody oh. mutated? Mosquito? Oh, maybe. I don't know. I don't remember. The Valley of the Dragons. I don't even. I don't even know that movie. Well, that's Don and Ellie for you. He gets them from the bottom of the barrel over there. <laughs> He's, Early sixties. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Thanks, Don. And we didn't have anything on Twitter, but uh, anyone listening, if you want to comment on the show and leave your comment, you can also do a voicemail. Uh, send us a voicemail. You just call 415-952-6857 or 415-95-AOTKP. Leave us that voicemail. We will play it on the show. Get to hear your voice on the podcast. It's a lot of fun. Please do it. But we're not done yet. One more segment to go. Oh, my gosh, guys. We got a new celebrity introduction. Here we go. How you doing? This is um, old Buck Flower for Attack of the Killer podcast. Fuck. <laughs> Now, you may have remembered me from films of old Johnny Carpenter, uh, Starman, um, Fog, and uh, They Live. And, uh, you know, maybe some other ones like um, um, uh, Cheerleader Camp and uh, Sorority <laughs> Babes and the Slime Ball Bolorama. I understand that old Insane Mike. Yeah, Insane Mike. Yeah, yeah. Pretty big fan, I hear. Yeah, that's um, my favorite of yours, Buck. Oh, well, thank you. Um, uh, well, just in, from directly from me to you, I think I'd like to tell you what I told old Edgy Bannister in uh, uh, Wishmaster. <laughs> Goes a little something like this. I hope you die, you sack of shit. I hope you die, <laughs> and I hope you float down the gutter so I can fucking piss on you. Here's a little bit more of this idiot scratching his nuts again. Here's insane Mike's picks. And scratching my nuts, I will. For this episode, I will be inducting a producer into Insane's Picks Hall of Fame. If William Castle is considered the poor man's Alfred Hitchcock, then this man is the sleazy poor man's Roger Corman. 
producing 55 films in 20 years. I'm talking about Schlockmeister's sex, sex exploitation film maker, Harry H. Novick. Uh, Harry Novick, uh, known as the Sultan of Sexploitation, produced such classics as Kiss Me Quick, Please Don't Eat My Mother, and Wham Bam, Thank You Spaceman. Uh, at, at the start of his career in the motion pictures, he got a job with RKO, uh, RKO Pictures distributing movie posters and press books to theaters as a teenager. After World War II, he moved up to booking and selling films, as well as designing ads, even for Walt Disney Studios. Uh, after RKO folded in 1957, Harry went to work booking exploitation films for Gem Distribution Company. He eventually founded his own production and distribution outfit called Box Office International Pictures, or BIP for short, in 1964. The first film released by BIP was the nudie cutie Kiss Me Quick in 1964. Kiss Me Quick was originally titled Dr. Breedlove and was sort of a demented sex spoof of Bride of Frankenstein and Dr. Strangelove. It was shot in six days and was renamed to Kiss Me Quick to avoid a lawsuit from Stanley Kubrick. In 1968, the generally disturbing counterculture slasher horror Mantis and Lace, directed by William Rotzeler, and was the first film for a young Hungarian cinematographer named Laszlo Kovics. Kovics did a lot of work for Novik uh, before he became a big-time Hollywood cinematographer who ended up working on such films as Easy Rider, Ghostbusters, Say Anything, and so much more. Uh, Harry went on to make and or release a bunch of trash flicks through the 60s and 70s from sex softcore smuts such as uh, For Love and Money in 1967, Wilbur and the Baby Factory in 1970, Below the Belt in 1971, uh, to sleazy southern fried exploitation sleaze such as Country Hooker in 74, uh, Country Cousins in 72, and my favorite, The Pig Keeper's Daughter in 1972. Uh, went on to also do Mondo documentaries such as Mondo Mod in 67, Mondo Keyhole in 66, and then even went into our world of horror films with such movies as Mad Butcher, 1971, Frankenstein's Castle of Freaks in 1974, Axe, which is an awesome movie, also in 1974, and, of course, the classic Rattlers in 1976. Box Office International Pictures was forced to shut down in 1978, but that wouldn't keep Harry down. He ended up launching Valiant International Pictures uh, directly after that. Novick only directed a couple of films himself, Moments of Love in 1984 and Inspirations in 1983, under the pseudonym H. Hershey. Novick, Novick's films played all through the 60s through the 80s at drive-ins and grindhouse theaters. His catalog gained a second life in the world of DVD thanks to Something Weird Video, who uh, gained most of Novick's films for distribution. Uh, sadly, Harry Novak died on March 26, uh, 2014. He left us a unique snapshot of sexploitation films um, uh, from a bygone era. As I induct Harry into Insane's Picks Hall of Fames and get ready to close the vault once again, I will end with a quote from Harry who said, When I was a kid, my dad told me there's a buyer for everything, and I lived to find out he was right.
So that's it for Insane's Picks and the inductee of Harry H. Novak. So that's it. That's the show, folks. Uh, a very special thanks to um, Mike Smale for joining us. Thanks for being on, Mike. I appreciate hey, Mike. it. Thanks, Absolutely. Mike. Thanks for having me. It's been great. And it was really fun. Um, you know, uh, you know, a lot of times we have guests on and stuff, and, and just saw you know in the conversations in the movies, it was fun bringing a different angle to things by throwing in the science bit. So. Thanks for indulging us on that. That was really cool. Yeah, Absolutely. no problem. I mean, if you ever need another space and stuff guy, you know where to find me. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> he elevated us for sure. <laughs> That's right. AKA, let me know when you're ready to do Armageddon and uh, <laughs> we'll get drunk and have a good old time. <laughs> All right. So um, I'll end on this. Vast is so space and mysterious and we've barely begun to understand it. What is in space can be scary sometimes, almost laughable. Like, remember when scientists said that a comet was supposed to hit Earth in October? <laughs> How ridiculous that was! <laughs> oh no, could this be the end of? Yeah, you did it. It's awesome. You made it to the end of the episode. Look at you. Thanks for listening, guys. Come such a long way. This was a real fun ride. This one was especially good, Mike. I know. I mean, I felt like I was on point and my form was excellent. You do have a nice form. Hey, thanks. Head over to jointheattackers.com and you can figure out how you can help support this show and get access to so much cool extra content. Check it out, guys. Join the attackers.com. Do it.